because I feel that people are much more willing to go to a movie they think is going to be mediocre than they are willing to go to a movie that they think is going to be good. It's wrong to believe that people want to go to good movies. They're very suspicious of good movies. They're very willing to go to midstream movies. In other words, they want a little less. Allow me to introduce myself. Who knows what dastardly crime might perpetrate next? He's a very clever arch criminal who must be put away. Another innocent victim. episode, a milestone for us here. I am your host, BJ Smith, joined as always by uh, Reed Benson here. Say hello, Reed. Hello. How's it going? So, uh, from the thousands and thousands of pieces of feedback we received from the first edition <laughs> of Movie, we felt it necessary and crucial that uh, we bring you Movie number two as quickly as possible. So this here we are. In- this is in high demand. This Very much show. so. Yeah. Yes. Of course. I believe there is like upwards of five people who like the YouTube video. So that's just throwing that out there. That's five more than I thought we'd get. So yeah, I actually looked on the media fire to see just how many downloads we had gotten for the show, and there was like seventeen or eighteen. So I was very impressed with that number. I'm very impressed too. Good for us. Yes. Good job, Good job Beach. We did it. <clears throat> so, uh. Yeah, uh, much like the last episode, we're going to stick to a, a similar format. It's only been two weeks since our, our initial debut episode, so um, I think our worth talking about sections significantly smaller, hopefully. At least um, <laughs> a lot of these movies, well, I think there's only one of these movies that actually both of us has seen. Um, so it's going to be a lot of uh, one-man takes here, but um, it seems like you and I have been watching different things uh, separate from one another here the last two weeks, but... There's a, a good bit of stuff here to catch up on, so we're going to go ahead and uh, head into that, and this is our section worth talking about. <clears throat> so um, I'll go ahead and start. The first, uh, Actually, the last movie I saw in theaters, and the first movie I saw in theaters since like Mission Impossible, was it six or seven, back in July? 27. Um, yeah, and somehow they keep getting better. I don't understand it. I, yeah, it's like the opposite of like a Transformers it's like the opposite of physics. <laughs> um, too. But yeah, I went out and saw Bohemian Rhapsody. You didn't catch this yet, have you? No. Uh, due to mixed reviews, I kind of st- stayed away from it. But. Yeah, uh, I was. I, did, I think we said on the first episode, I was like really excited for this movie, and then when the reviews started coming out, my excitement level for it kind of tanked. But I was going out with friends, and uh, not all my friends are like you, Reed. They uh they like the more mainstream stuff. So I don't think I could have talked them into like going and seeing Beautiful Boy with me or anything. So uh, Bohemian, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody seemed like a a, a fine middle ground. Galileo, Galileo How was that? Higher. Can you go a bit higher? If I go any higher, only dogs will hear me. Try. Oh. 
higher. Jesus, how many more Galileos do you want? Very, very one more, one more. Galileo! One more. Galileo! Galileo! Again. Go on, roll the track. Who even is Galileo? Are we done? That's it. So I went and saw this, and my review is, uh, meh. It's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, we, we talked last last episode. I'm probably a little kinder on movies than Mr. Reed here, but uh, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't everything it could have been. <clears throat> I agree with most of the critical sentiment that I read, which, I mean, the thing that continually keeps coming up is that it's very um, like surface level. It's very yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah, it's um, it just. I mean, you're not going to learn anything here that you won't learn by reading the Wikipedia page. Um, unfortunately, which is a shame given the subject material. Yeah, you could have really done a lot with this and gone in a lot of different directions, but they settled on just going the normal like every biopic you've ever seen kind of the same exact highs and lows i mean you could almost just detail it out cliche after cliche uh still i mean i i I believe i rated it three stars on letterboxd um this movie was always going to have to like really fail very hard for me to not even have a little bit of fun with it and the fact that it is queen's music and it's all through through the through the movie of course and um and uh, the guy who plays for Freddie Mercury, what's his name again? Uh, Rami Rami Malek. Rami Malek, yes. Yep. Um, he does a fantastic job. He's the best thing in the movie. I think most people have been a, a set, agreeing to that. Um, and it's one of the better performances I've seen all year. I really enjoyed it. So between the music and Rami Malek's performance, it was enough for me to just say, yeah, it, this was you know it was a fine way to spend a Friday night. It wasn't. I wasn't angry leaving the theater or anything. Um, but yeah. don't go he- – I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say um, don't go into this movie expecting to learn any grand revelations or see anything um, super controversial or challenging or anything. I was going to say something about Rami Malek is that uh, I didn't realize that he was the like the tomb guy in uh, Night at the Museum. <laughs> He's been in a lot of movies that I didn't realize he was in. Until later that oh it was that guy like he was in that stupid need did you ever see the Need for Speed movie with Aaron no. Paul ooh it's bad but Rami Malek <laughs> Rami Malek is in it and uh, he's not that great in the movie either he's just kind of a wacky dude I haven't seen the Night at the Museum movies either oh you haven't seen those yeah no. those are the ones I've seen I saw in, as a I guess I was a kid nine years I, ago I am a big fan of Mr Robot however so um, yeah I, I still need to see that that. Everyone says that's incredible. So it's a fantastic show, um, yeah. especially if you're into like uh, Fight Club. There, it, t- it takes a lot from Fight Club, but um, yeah, I, I was always going in rooting for Rami Malek, and um, I don't think it's just my fandom saying. I, I think he did like a really fantastic job in this. So um, I don't know if it's enough to get him any love in awards season, just because the movie isn't great. It's probably pretty forgettable, um, but I mean, it de- it's definitely one of the better performances I've seen this year. Um, yeah. So moving on, you've seen Suspiria, correct? Oh, baby. I'm going to ask Caroline to work on your jumps with you. Yours are nowhere near good enough yet. I'll have to build you up. So that I can dance the protagonist when you perform it. I'll need to see you dance at this level time and time again. I can do it. 
Algamate folks seem like such heavy lifting. She never understood the heart of folk. She lacked conviction. I'm relieved she's gone. Thank you for your help with that. All right, so I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, first off, when you were saying that uh, I have friends that uh, would see Beautiful Boy with me, uh, on the list of here that I'm going to talk about movies, Beautiful Boy is the only one that I saw with somebody. The other ones I did go alone, but that's because it was an off day. It was like middle of the day. Uh, but the only reason why my friend wanted to go see Beautiful Boy is because he's a huge Office fan, and he mm. loves he loves anything Steve Carell. And he really liked Call Me By Your Name, so he liked Timothy Chalamet, too. So we went and got into to see that. Um, but I'll talk about Beautiful Boy later. Suspiria. Woo. Oh, boy. This movie. So uh, I remember after I watched this movie, I messaged you, like, I think about six or seven times just saying how, like, blown away I was by this movie and just how shocked I was about what I watched. Uh, this is uh, – so a little background about the movie. I should probably do that. Uh because I don't think everyone knows about it. Uh, Suspiria is a remake-ish. I mean, it is a remake. Um, it borrows a lot of the same... I have not seen the original uh, re- movie, but it borrows a lot of the kind of base elements of the movie and kind of expands upon that and goes in a different direction. From what I hear, it's pretty much a different film um, for the most part. Um, <clears throat> but it's a remake of a 1977 um I forget what I think it. I don't know what language or what country it was, so I apologize. But uh, called Suspiria by the same name, um, and this one is direct. I was really I wouldn't have had any interest in seeing this if it wasn't for the director. Now hold on, let me try to get his name right. Luca Guadagnino. Am I pronounce that right? Probably. Some, not. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's phonetically how it looks. Yeah, that's how it looks. So I'm just gonna say like that. But he primarily directed "Call Me by Your Name" last year, which was my third favorite film from last year. Uh, was such a fantastic film. Um, and uh, he's directed a lot of other stuff that I unfortunately have not seen. Um, from uh, he's done a um, movie called "I Am Love," which is. A lot of people, I've a couple of people I've uh, follow on Letterbox gave it a five star, so I'm uh, that's been on my watch list for a while. Um, but he uh, he really blew me away with "Call Me by Your Name." It was one of my favorites of last year. So to see him have a new movie come out so quickly, and then not only that, he also brought in the same cinematographer as "Call Me by Your Name." And in my opinion, if "Call Me by Your Name," uh, the cinematography should have won the uh, best cinematography if it wasn't for the fact that Blade Runner. 2049 was also there um but this movie was insane it's hard for me to talk about it without just completely spoiling the movie and i don't want to but it does so many things well um and i just oh it's just so crazy like the the original suspiria is a it was so crazy for its time because it was a horror movie that came out in 1977 and the visuals in this film, it's so bright and colorful. Like, if you ever even look at some clips, I mean, you've seen um, Project Cinema Horror 8. I don't want to kind of bring out the MV Zone, but Awesome Dude covered that movie in Project Cinema Horror 8, the original. And if you just look at it, the the, the, the colors, it's, it's so colorful for such a dark movie. Whereas here, he almost like, Luca almost just like took everything back. And it's so old school, but so like new and it looks so but it still looks so great it's incredible um 
Tilda Swinton is like one of the best actors, period. Um, she's just fantastic and incredible in everything she does. The acting, everyone in, in this movie was acting, even, um, I think, what's her name? Dakota Johnson, who I only know from the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, um, which she stars in. But she's the lead role in this, and she blends into the to the atmosphere and everything so well. She's in fantastic and incredible. Um, this movie is just absolutely fantastic. I love it so much. Um, and the last, <laughs> I just want to say, like, the last, the third act of this film is one of the craziest you will ever see. Like, period. Um, I have to, I, and I want to see the original so bad because I want to compare them to, but they are very much different. Um, and just everything about it is just so well done. It is a long movie. It's two and a half hours, but, um, and it, it does have a somewhat of a slow pace, but it builds so well and it's done so well that I can't really, it, it deserves that runtime. It deserves that runtime. So, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about the spirit. I gave it a five out of five. It was, I normally don't give films five out of five the first time I've seen them. The last time I did that was for Blade Runner 2049, uh, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but Suspiria, this was one that I had to do. I had to give it five, which was, I was debating about it, but I had to give it five. So, yeah, that's Suspiria. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that. I, I think I'm going to catch the first one before I go into that. The the sampling of critics that I follow on Letterboxd, the... The reviews are kind of all over the place. I don't know what the make yeah. of it is. So. Yeah, it's a it's 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 a movie that is definitely um, I don't want to say polarizing, but if you're not with it, you might not be with it all the way. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you kind of just have to buy it. Um, but I think the movie does such a great job at setting you up for it that you just kind of you you'll you'll get into it. So yeah. That's it. So. Um, Moving on for any Office fans, or move into a movie featuring Steve Carell and Amy Ryan, who you know yeah. is Michael Scott yeah. and Holly Flax, yeah. who end up together in The Office. Spoiler alert. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't seen this yet either, but go ahead and talk about Beautiful Boy. Which actually, they play a divorced uh, couple in the that's, movie. So. That's turning me off to the movie <laughs> immediately. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few bucks. Why don't we just have lunch and talk? We can do that, right? Hmm. Hmm. How, what, how's Karen and, uh, and the kids? Okay. They ask about you. It's their step up next week, and I know they'd love you. Okay, to... You're, uh, you're guilt tripping me, all right? No, I'm, I'm just, just saying. I feel horrible they... about myself. I know they wanted you to be there, that's all. I'm sorry, Dad. Um, I just need some money, all right? So please just give me and some money. Where does this end? This is, I gotta see this one through. This is kind of working out for me right now. I got five days sober. It doesn't look like it's working you, out, Nick. Oh, it doesn't look like it's working out? So what, no. the therapy, huh? You can come home. No, that would Make it work, please, Nick. Please. I've been doing some research. Been doing fucking research? You gotta no. be kidding me, Dad. You think that you have this under control. Mm-hmm. And I understand how scared you are. I understand why I do things. It doesn't make me any different, all right? I'm attracted to craziness, and you're just embarrassed because I was like, you know, I was like this amazing thing, like your special creation or something, 
And you don't like who I am now. Yeah, who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad. Here, this is who I am. A uh, beautiful boy. Um, I was looking forward to this, um, going into it. Um, and it's good. I think I gave it three and a half. It's good. It's a good movie. Um, like, really good. I mean, um, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet bring out two of the best performances of the year. Uh, like, genuinely, Steve Carell is so good. I mean, he's fantastic as in the office, as you know. And he's he's just an incredible, one of the best actors working. Uh, he's just fantastic. Um, and Timothy Chalamet is incredible in this as well. Probably his best performance. Um, but Steve, it's just so, but the movie is so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. For people who don't know, the movie is about Steve Carell, who is the father, and Timmy the Chalamet, who's an 18-year-old kid. Uh, his kid gets uh, addicted to meth um, and and drugs, pretty much in general, but mainly meth. And um, he's trying to help his son go through, like, go through and try to help his son with drug addiction, but um, it just kind of goes down hill for him and it's a really sad movie but really well done for the most part um i have my gripes first off the acting like everyone acting wise is incredible like i mentioned um my biggest issues with this (laughs) is the fucking music the music (laughs) the music in this movie makes no goddamn sense and i don't understand it none of it works okay i shouldn't say none of it works but it doesn't like fit and it like it's so random like all of a sudden you'll have like like this electronic like like score that will be going on and all of a sudden you'll have like this hard heavy metal like rock song and like two scenes later and it doesn't make any goddamn sense why they're picking these it's like it's like the director just went through his spotify playlist and was like yeah that will fit through that scene yeah that'll fit like it makes no sense whatsoever um that's literally my biggest gripe. It took me on the movie so much, um, and also the movie, cinematography-wise, it's it, the movie looks great, but it's nothing really but shot reverse shot. There's no real f- natural flair to it, which isn't a bad thing. But I I feel like it could have used that and it could have made um, the movie just a little bit better. But yeah, Beautiful Boy was good. I give it a three and a half, uh, mainly to see it for the performances because um, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet are pretty great. Um, yeah, I'm also looking forward to that one because um, I'll see anything that Steve Carell's in between yeah, The Office and um, and The Big Short and some of his other performances. I just, I'm a big fan of the man. I'll go ahead and take this next one to cut up your breaking a little. Sure. You're talking a little bit. <clears throat> talking too much. <laughs> so um, this is going to be controversial, I guess. Um, I'm still trying to talk read and watching this. I don't know how successful I'll be, uh, I'll be at that, but... Um, one of the movies I've seen in the last two weeks was the latest Adam Sandler <laughs> release on Netflix. <laughs> and um, if you've listened to any of Reed and I's podcasts prior to this for like the last three or four years, we <laughs> just bash Adam Sandler at every possible chance. Um, I don't I know about Reed. I bashed him earlier. Yeah. I bashed, when we mentioned Hotel Transylvania, I bashed him earlier. But uh, I don't know about you. I was like I, – I like – Adam Sandler's 90s flicks. Sure. I think they're stupid and funny and um they they usually have if for the most yeah, pretty much all of them they like have a lot of heart. Um thinking like uh Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, Wedding Singer. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's about it. After that it's been total 
trash, um, mm-hmm. with the exception of Punch Drunk Love and um, Funny People, which aren't quote unquote Adam Sandler films. Um, but come to my surprise, I don't know why on Letterboxd I checked, but Adam Sandler's latest release on Netflix called 100% Fresh, which is a, a movie title that you and I made fun of like two weeks ago. <laughs> um, it was getting really good reviews, and I didn't understand. Uh, so I read a couple of those reviews, and I was like, I'm going to have to watch this. <laughs> so I did. And it's really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go again. Come on. I'm heading out. And all I'm taking with me is my phone, wallet, keys, yeah, phone, wallet, keys. Just those three things, please, need my phone, wallet, keys. Got my credit cards in my wallet, got my phone, you can call it. Master lock on my front door, that's what my motherfucking keys are for, my phone, wallet, keys, yeah, phone, wallet, keys. Good things come in trees, need my phone, wallet, keys. If I'm going to the zoo, I need my phone, wallet, keys. If I'm getting a face tattoo, I need my phone, wallet, keys. If I'm going out to a wedding, if it's winter time and I'm sledding, if I'm at that daddy door to dance, my phone, wallet, keys are in my pants. I'm going on vacation to the West Indies. And I don't got no luggage, just got phone, wallet, keys. I roll on up to the airport, lady asked for my passport, fuck. Okay. Yes, I need my phone, wallet, passport, keys, phone, wallet, passport, keys. Now I need four things. Um, I think I landed four stars on this, which is, I don't, I'm still confused by it. Um, (laughs) But basically, it's an Adam Sandler Sandler stand-up film. It's shot between, you could tell, it's like a a lot of different gigs all cut up, um, which, which creates some like really unique and uh kind of awesome editing opportunities the editing in this was really like really impressive um but this is like laugh out loud funny even like really funny stuff i don't laugh out loud at i'll just kind of like grin or snicker especially i watch this at work and i'm in i was in the room with another person so like i'm not like a laugh out loud type because i don't want to be the the goon with who has earphones in who's laughing and no one (laughs) understands what's going on. But like I was, I found myself laughing out loud at this multiple times. Um, the best thing I could say without giving anything away. I mean, it's a stand-up special, so I don't know how much you can give away. I'm not going to sit here and tell the jokes, but, um, it's just like Adam, Adam Sandler just felt very real and honest in this. Like he wasn't. I mean, he put on. He does a goofy voice because that's Adam Sandler. I mean, that was Adam Sandler in the '90s. So you still have that, and it's a lot of musical comedy. Some of these songs are like ten seconds long. Like he he starts a song and it's a punchline, and that's it. And then some of them go longer, and they get funnier the longer they go. And there are some like really touching moments in this. Um, in particular, there is a song about Chris Farley, which like completely oh. re- wrecked me. It was incredible. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, for me, I, like that's that's the high spot of Adam Sandler's career in the last fifteen years. It was that <laughs> song about Chris Farley. Um, so yeah, you can watch this on Netflix now. It's a little over an hour. It's well worth your time. Go check it out. I mean, it's not gonna. Obviously, it, it's 
not changed my mind on his his current work. I'm not going to watch like Ridiculous Six or something. But please, please for the love of God, don't watch. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and don't. But yeah, this was um this was really good. I was very impressed, and I don't know. It's get it's I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it's giving me false hope. I hope not. But like. Why don't you do this, Adam Sandler? <laughs> like, I mean, they don't have to be stand-ups, but you're obviously still funny. Why aren't your movies funny anymore? I'll tell you why your movies aren't funny anymore because you cast the same exact people who also aren't funny, and like every single movie, you have to be like the cool guy hero. Whereas if you look at his '90s films, he was like the lovable slacker goof. Not like the second half of his career where he like, he always has like this inexplicably hot wife. Like he always casts the hot actress. <laughs> like, like no Jennifer one's lying. Anderson. Yeah. Stop it. Um, anyway, that's, that's a rant for another time, but, uh, Adam Sandler, 100% fresh on Netflix. Now go check it out. Um, for sure. It's worth your time. And I mean, as of right now, I'm, I'm hopeful for Adam Sandler. So, um, so yeah, that's that's one of the ones I've watched recently, and it's been on my mind, um, particularly that 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 Chris Farley song. But there's a lot of funny stuff in there, so uh, definitely check it out. I have uh, a question for you before we yes. move on. Uh, mainly, you can quickly talk about this because this is a movie I was kind of debating on watching, but not. But um, the Outlaw King. Yes. Um, you, I know that you. I saw you put it on your letterbox. That's why. But I was only somewhat interested because it was done by the guy. I'm forgetting his name. But he did Hell or High Water. Yes. Um, was it any? Is it worth checking? Well, that was my main impetus for watching it when I saw it was the director from Hell, uh, Hell or High Water, which is one of my most favorite movies of the last you know five years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed it. I mean, it's not. Um, you're you're a little harsher on movies than I am, as we've established. Sure. So I I don't think you'll land as high on it as I did. I don't. I didn't even land that high. I think I gave it three or three and a half. Um, it's fine. It's uh, two hours. It's worth your time. It's free. It's on Netflix. It's about Robert the Bruce. If you're a Braveheart fan, um, if ever there was going to be a Braveheart two, it's this movie, um, which follows Robert the Bruce um, and his rebellion. Uh, if you remember the the kind of the closing monologue of Braveheart after spoiler alert, it's only been thirty <laughs> years, but um, after William Wallace is killed and chopped up and his parts sent across Scotland, uh, Robert the Bruce leads the rebellion, and he's actually the one who sees Scotland's freedom through to the end. And uh, that's what this movie's about. Chris Pine does a really good job. Uh, you could see him naked in it if that's enticing to anybody. Um, <laughs> Well, damn! I gotta watch this right now. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. the The movie starts like the the first shot is like a nine minute one take shot. Um, so that was pretty awesome. You know what's funny was my parents watched this. This is why I wanted to. I know because my mom did not like it. Uh, but my mom doesn't like a lot of stuff, <laughs> so I don't take her opinion on anything <laughs> right. But she texted me. She's like, "We're watching the new Chris Pine movie," and my my dad and uh, your dad says. That's one that that's that shot that was one continuous shot. Does it sound like any does it sound like anything familiar? I go, yes, it sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so that was cool. Uh the cinematography in it's really beautiful. The worst there's a lot of uh battle scenes and uh they're really well done. 
So it, it's worth your time. I don't know where you'll land on it just because our movie tastes tend to be a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're into that kind of thing, if you like Braveheart, I mean, it's not as good as Braveheart, but it's um, it's worth your watch. Yeah. Okay. That's all I need to know. All right. And you saw mid-90s recently? Yeah, I did. Oh, shit. You think you're pretty cool. You're ghetto-ass friends. You good? <laughs> you think you're tough and shit. You're just a little fucking kid. A lot of the time, we feel like our lives are the worst. But think if you looked at anybody else's closet, you wouldn't trade your shit for their shit. So let's go. That's why we ride a piece of wood and like wet that dust to somebody's spirit. Stevie, what the fuck are you doing? Yo, Stevie fucking insane. <laughs> Jonah Hill's directorial debut, and it was pretty good. Um, I think originally we're not think originally i went four stars in this but it actually had changed it uh soon after it went three and a half uh so i brought it down half a star and there's i have reasons why because the more i thought about it, the more stuff bothered me but it is still a really good movie and something i really enjoyed watching um it's only an hour and 20 minutes which was kind of crazy because like the opening bit of this movie like uh as far as like the credits go they go on for like four minutes or five minutes like it's it, it started off like pretty slow and i'm like wow we're an hour and 20 minutes and we're starting off pretty slow but then the movie picked up really quickly um after that it is a very much a a24 film um if that makes any uh, as B probably knows what an A24 film is, it's shot in a 4 by 3 ratio, aspect ratio, to fit the uh, mid-90s aesthetic. Um, it's really good. It's a really good movie. A lot of heart to the movie. Um, all the performances by everyone was great. Um, hold on, let me find this guy's name. The lead kid, um, his name is Sonny Solik. Uh, he actually was in your, one of your favorite movies of all time, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh. Uh, but he was actually the kid in that when he, There, he wasn't supposed to do really a great performance. But here, he was 11 when they shot this movie. And the fact that he was 11 and he was so good in this movie blew me away. He is so... He's, he's going to... Watch him. Watch him in the future. He's going to be a, a name that you're going to remember. He, he he was awesome. Um, as far as uh, everyone else in the movie was great as well. Uh, they had they use a lot of mid nineties <laughs> mid nineties music. They use a lot of nineties music in the movie, um, and they also had a score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, um, which honestly was kind of underwhelming. Like the score in and of itself was fine, um, and actually pretty good if you just listen to it by itself but it just wasn't really used well in the film if that makes sense it there were a lot of scenes where it felt like you were almost like it was they were trying to manipulate uh you into what you're feeling and um it, it just didn't work it didn't work in the film while i was watching i was like ah that just 
that, that doesn't really work here. But okay, it was like kind of like a beautiful boy effect. But and a lot of times the movie kind of feels like a a music video um, at certain points. Um, but it's still done really well, um, and the music done is really good. Um, and um, I'm trying to think. There's a, a lot of kids. They had a couple skate. There's a, a couple skater kids that they actually got actual skaters. Um, to play the performances, and they were great. It was I was like incredible. Like these kids are really great actors, and they don't have any. Act, which is probably they're probably playing themselves. But either way, they like the characters, like um, like uh, a lot of other movies we've watched that we talked about last uh, show. They all just came off very genuine and like real people, um, which was awesome to watch. Um, anything else you want to talk about this movie? No, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I had some. I had some issues with it, but for an, an overall directorial debut that I was looking forward to, I was not disappointed. And it was, like I said, it was an hour and 20 minutes. It was a pretty easy watch. It went by pretty fast, and I very much enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, it feels like that one's flying under the radar a lot. Um, yeah. Maybe yeah. it's just me. I just feel like I haven't heard a ton about it. Yeah, it's like I said, it's good. It's nothing great, but it is. It's a very good film, really good film. I still really enjoyed it myself. So, all right, and um, in a continuation of what we were talking about last week, I finally saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Reed's yeah. one of Reed's favorite movies of last year, and, and uh, all time as well. And of all time, um, so yeah, I, I figured we'd throw that at the end of end of here. Even, I realize it's not like a recent release, but it's not that old. It's just about a year old. Um, and talk about that in brief. Did you want to start, or do you want me to share my feelings? Uh, yeah, I'll start. I'll start, okay. and then you'll you'll talk go for it because I, I love this film a lot more than you do, of course, uh, or not even a lot more because we're only half a star rating. But obviously, this is one of my favorite films of all time. Okay. They say you're the best memory maker there is. Well, then they're kind. I love birthday parties. You work for Wallace. Subcontract. I'm one of his suppliers. He offered to buy me out, but I take my freedom where I can find it. Why are you so good? What makes your memory so authentic? Well, there's a bit of every artist in their work. But I was locked in a sterile chamber at eight, so... If I wanted to see the world, I had to imagine it. Got very good at imagining. Wallace needs my talent to maintain a stable product. I think he's only kind. Replicants live such hard lives, made to do what we'd rather not. I can't help your future, but I can give you good memories to think back on and smile. It's nice. It's better than nice. It feels authentic. And if you have authentic memories, you'll have real human responses. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, this film is everything that I wish uh, m- every movie could be, uh, basically. <laughs> like, everything about this film is perfect. Let's start off with the obvious, the cinematography. Uh, probably the, the best cinematography I've ever seen. And probably like the best, like I would actually looking, agree with you there. Yeah, and probably like the best looking movie you'll ever see in your lifetime. 
I, I originally thought like her was like one of the best looking films of all time, but I think this this takes a cake. This film is just incredibly looking from a visual standpoint. Um the world that they create. They just they took Blade Runner's original world and just kind of expanded on it. Um the another thing that's great that I feel gets overlooked so much is the score. Um I know they kind of took a lot of elements of the original one. They took a lot of elements of the original. I think it's done by Hans Zimmer too. Uh, they took Hans Zimmer took a lot of elements of the original one and just expanded on it and added new sounds and added just just ah I love the score so much. There's a certain score called the Seawall which um if uh, Beach might know as it pretty much is the last big song in the movie where it goes like it's like it's this epic score and it's one of my favorites of all time I love it so much that was um, actually something that I caught right away it was just how awesome the score was exactly and I remember watching the first time in the theater when that scene happened I'm just like in my seat like whole like I'm literally saying holy sh- like mouthing it like I'm like in awe of what I am watching um some the uh the story is good um it's not great but it's really good in my the, opinion the story's grown on me the more i think about it right like it's not anything blow away but the more i think about it the more i really love it um but i still think it's probably the weakest point of the film but that's saying a lot um also, uh, what am I trying to think? The acting in this movie is, like, even from, like, this is Harrison Ford's best performance in, like, I want to say years. It's been a long time. He, uh, definitely a lot better than his, uh, Star Wars Horse Awakens one, in my opinion. But, um... You think, I, I feel like all Harrison Ford performances are the same. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like he brought more to this film. I, I don't know. Maybe... Maybe I need to. I don't he know. was definitely more um, playing a more vulnerable character than maybe, he usually maybe, does. Maybe that's why I think he was better. I don't know, but um, I R- Ryan Gosling is incredible. Like well, he's one of the best actors working alive. Um, this might go into spoiler territory, but if you haven't seen this movie, please go watch it. Like please, just go watch it. But the scene where he kind of breaks down, where he brings that thing to the girl, and he's like, "No, this memory's real." And, you find, and he's kind of debating whether or not he's a replicant or not in his head. And just when, like, because he's, you know, he's so blank face, he's a replicant, he's nothing. And then he just f- breaks out. And it's, it's, it's a lot, but it's not too much. Like, he just, I fucking love Ryan Gosling. He is so incredible as an actor. Uh, he's one of my favorites right now. Um, and just this whole, God, I could go on about this whole fucking movie. I'm going to try to, but listen, this whole movie is incredible. I absolutely love this film so much. I, I like, want to go scene by scene and break down why, why I love it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to let you talk since you are the one that just saw it. So please, speak. Yeah, so this is one of those movies, it's come to me in little pieces. Um, let, let me just get the right off the bat. The same thing you said initially the cinematography, if it's not the most beautiful movie I've ever watched, I mean, it's up there. Um, exactly. Doing doing some research after the fact. Roger Deakins is the guy, the cinematographer who uh, who did who um, who did the movie. Who finally won an Oscar? After who finally like thirteen times? That made me so angry, and that's the point I'm getting right. to. Was like 
I saw that he finally won the Oscar for this. I'm like, oh, good for him. Let me go see what else he's done. His his um not discography, that's music, but filmography. It's <laughs> I don't know how he didn't win for all of these movies because I mean just a sampling: No Country for Old Men, Shawshank Redemption, Big Lebowski, Fargo, mm-hmm. Sicario, Prisoners, uh, Skyfall, Hail Caesar, True Grit, the remake, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Beautiful Mind, Serious Man, Assassination yeah. of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Like, how much more do I need to go down? That's just that's just the first few listed in Letterboxd. The but, the last like three that you mentioned, like The Prisoner. Uh, Sicario and someone else. He was g- up against like Gravity, uh, Birdman, and like The Revenant. So that's uh, why. He, that's oh, why yeah. he didn't, You're he not going to win against Revenant. No. Um, but like Jarhead, even 2005. Jar- Jarhead's an amazing looking movie. I haven't seen it in like 10 years, but I remember thinking that was a beautiful movie at the yeah. time. He's my um, favorite cinematographer and probably the best. Like easily. He's easily my favorite now. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, that out of the way, and the score, um, the visuals and score. Just as a photographer, um, I just I get I got that pang watching this immediately. Of a, this is amazing, and b, I'm insanely jealous right now. Um, right. This guy just has an amazing eye, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, um, watching it, like I said, it's come to me slowly. For the it's this this is a long movie too. I mean, it's it's a trek. Um, yeah. It's um, over two and a half hours long. And uh, watching it through the majority of it, I'd say through at least two hours of it, I'm thinking, okay, I mean, the movie looks amazing, it sounds amazing, but it's it's a three and a half star movie, and I'm trying to figure out why Reed loves it so much. <laughs> but then the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, this is perhaps the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. Can that really be a three and a half star movie? So for the visuals, I'm like. It has to be at least a four-star movie, just on visuals alone, even if like everything else sucks, because this is just like gorgeous to look at. And then you start getting towards the ending, and you start seeing how things are playing out. And uh, I, I actually I landed at four and a half. So I'm, I'm this is one of those rare movies where I'm a little under where you are. Usually it's the other way around, but um, but four and a half still pretty fantastic and that's where i landed on uh, the original blade runner um my biggest problem was if it felt too long and you and i discussed this um over messaging a a Mm -hmm. few days ago and it is a good point i I think you agree that it's probably too long but what do you cut yeah it's (laughs) because there's nothing wasted here there's nothing like that doesn't need to be there um Exactly. Everything's like needs to be there. Like, and that was something that I actually heard someone else say that kind of land was like you. Like the movie's too long. Nothing about the movie. It's not like there's like wasted scenes. That scenes don't need to be there. Everything needs to be there. But it's like the scenes just go on too long. Like the scenes are just they're just long scenes. It's a lot of kind of quiet staring. Yeah. Letting yeah. things soak in. But everything's necessary, so it's exactly. I, it almost it feels unfair to call it too long, even though I felt it the entire time watching it. Um, but I was—I don't know how many listeners. Um, there's a, a video essay guy. Um, he does a series on YouTube called Movies with Mikey. It's pretty popular. It's become—I've only discovered it in the last uh, four to five months, and it's become like one of my favorite series on YouTube. Uh, this guy is incredible. And watching his videos, 
increases my appreciation of these movies because he draws things out that I, I'm probably just not smart enough to think of. And um, he did one on Blade Runner 2049 and over, in kind of an overall theme of doing 20-year sequels, which seems to be in vogue now and tends to uh, to not work out ever. Um, this would be one of the rare occasions where I'd say that the 20-year sequel, or in this case 30, 35-year sequel, uh, lives up to the original. And, um, well, and also, can I just add to that? Yeah. It's not – it doesn't do the nostalgia thing really. Not like, at all. Not all. It's not pandering to the crowd like, hey, you remember this thing that you saw 30 years ago? Hey, remember this thing you saw? That? No. It's a sequel. It is a direct sequel. It builds on everything the original did, and it doesn't try to pander to you at all. It's just a sequel that tells its story. Not only that, the, the one thing that uh, Mikey brought up was this is a movie that makes the original movie better. Exactly, yes. And I was that's the thing that really stuck with me that he said, and I, I tried thinking, like, throughout cinema, are there sequels that make the original better? And, I don't know, Godfather Part Two maybe? And that's literally the extent of what I could come up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, not even The Dark Knight makes Batman Begins better. No, just The uh, Dark Knight's better in every way. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, but there, but that's such a rare quality for a sequel to make the original better. Because even it took me a while to come to the score that I came to on this. Um, and like I said, it's coming to me piece by piece. But after I watched this, it did increase my appreciation of the first movie to where I was like, I should probably go back and watch it, even though I just watched it like a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing <clears> – <throat> this is mild spoilers. Um, the thing that Mikey brought up also that was – that I thought was really uh, beautiful, and it's—I mean—it's a main kind of a main takeaway from the film. So um, I don't think it's something that I was too dumb to latch onto, but I just want to throw it out there for those who have seen it. Uh, kind of the big question was always: Is um, Harrison Ford's character um, Deckard a replicant? And it was hinted at in the original, and here, I mean, you—you kind of you spend a lot of the runtime waiting for an answer and it's an answer that's not really ever given like a concrete yes or no. Um, but there's a point behind it. And what the sequel does so beautifully is that it makes it not matter because whereas the first one, Blade Runner, obviously it's about Deckard hunting down, you know, where essentially these cybernetic organisms posing as humans and they're dangerous this movie is very much kind of the flip side of that you, you spend so much time with replicants mm-hmm. and with artificial beings mm-hmm. um speaking in, in terms of um of joy uh ryan gosling's character his his girlfriend who's basically basically an operating system speaking of her um but you spend so much time with these these I, I don't even know what to call them non-humans and there are even some that there's no definitive answer you, you know you don't know if this character is a human or if they're not and it's never really given um but the i think the point of the movie is just to to make it not matter because mm-hmm. 20 20 49 30 years after the original <clears throat> which is when this is taking place um in real life and in the movie in the movie timeline 
it, it doesn't matter at, the, at this point in the in the sequel. Even though there there are blade quote unquote blade runners trying to hunt down um, these other things, it's like what am I trying to say? The replicants. It's it's kind of like a I don't want to say like a civil rights type deal, but it kind of is. Um, like yeah. the rep, the replicants are are fighting or are trying to to rally to fight for their own rights because. I mean, you have replicants killing replicants. Yeah, and the replicants, in their mind, are just as much human as anybody. Yeah. And that's even given further credence in the fact that some of these don't know they're replicants, and us as audience don't know who's a replicant and who's not. So who are we to say what's really human and what's really not human? Yeah, and then, I mean, like, Ryan Gosling's told all his life that he is a replicant, and then he has that that doubt in his mind that he might not be. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? It's just... I, I love this film so much. <laughs> yeah. We could go into a full fucking breakdown. Like we could do a like a whole whole movie about this, but and go through scene by scene because there's so like there's so many little scenes that I, like I will literally just go on YouTube and look up later in the 2049 clips, and I will literally just watch like clips. I won't watch the movie. I'll watch clips of because I love the little goddamn things that these that these fuckers did for this film. I I love this film so much. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. A lot of amazing performances. We didn't even touch on Jared Leto, which I thought who I yeah. thought was really great in it. Batista's in it. Who Batista. I mean, he's in it very briefly, but I thought he was fantastic. He was great. Um, so yeah, that guy continues to impress me. Um, Jared Leto wasn't in it. He was only in it for like three scenes too, but he was great. And also, um, what's I don't know her. I forget in her name, but his assistant. Um, Oh, uh, yeah. I forget, name. I, I forget her character's name, but she was fantastic in the movie as well. Was it Love? Yes, Love. Love, I think yeah. Was love, yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this movie is it's really fleshed out. I mean, you get little... You get the cameos, like Edward James almost is in it as Gaff real briefly. Um, mm-hmm. But you get like these newer characters, and even though they're not like integral to the storyline or the main storyline, I mean, it's, just, it's all continuing that world-building which was um, perhaps the most impressive part of the original. So, Yeah. Um, an incredible film, that's all I'll say. Yep. So um, that's what we've seen. That's worth what we're, uh, what was worth talking about and what, what's worth going out, and out of your way to see. Um, we settled on a format here. So uh, we discussed last episode about um, one of us choosing a movie per episode – um, maybe doing two movies per episode, and we decided to go one movie per episode, and we'll alternate turns uh, deciding what film we're going to do. And this part uh, we're calling the deep dive. We uh, will take turns selecting a movie, and we're actually just going to completely go into it, um, mu- much more in depth than what we did with those previous movies. Um, I mean, we're going through plot detail by plot detail. Um, and we'll talk about some asides, some uh, facts, stuff, um, tangents, you know, whatever uh, our conversation brings up. But I decided to take the first uh, episode here. And I selected a movie that I've loved for a long, long time. And unknowingly to me, a movie that Reed had never seen before. And uh, what I chose was uh, Lethal Weapon from 1987, the uh, Richard Donner film. And uh, 
written by Shane Black. Written which, by Shane Black, yes. Which, which watching it, it was in Chris. It was a Christmas movie, so I go, oh, yep, this is by this is a Shane Black movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, Shane Black for uh, the newer movie uh, film nerds, uh, Nice Guys, Iron Man Three, um, the newest Predator movie, I guess. Which, <laughs> uh, kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yep. Uh, a lot of uh, really solid stuff. I didn't realize that he was that old. Like he had written movies this far back, but yeah, I didn't really realize uh, that much either. And uh, um, also wrote Lethal Weapon two as well, um, which won't be covered in this episode. But there's like four Lethal Weapon movies, right? And there's a TV no. show which I just found out about because I looked up Lethal Weapon, and the first thing that popped up was 2016 TV series. Like, what the hell is this? I've never watched a TV series. I can't speak towards it. I was wholly against them making it into a TV series. Well, it's um, it's, it's over now after three because everyone, I think uh, the main two uh, lead actors got into a fight on set. Oh, nice. <laughs> so so one of them got, got fired, and then a season later, the other one quit. I think it was uh, Damon. Damon uh, Wayans. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, and they brought on uh, the. Sean William Scott. <laughs> yeah, that guy. He's yeah, so bad. Stifler. Oh, that's when um, you know your your show's going down the tubes. <laughs> but uh, I've seen all four of the movies. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen them, but I really, I particularly the first three. The first three I remember being fantastic. Four I remember enjoying. Um, but four was a number of years later, and they had like brought in Jet Li and Chris Rock, and I don't remember. By, are they all by Richard Donner? I think so. I'm a I right now. don't know for sure, but yep, he did do all of them. Yeah. Um, so what I'm going to do here, if you've not watched the movie, uh, turn this off and go watch the movie. I mean, it's been out since 1987, so you've had plenty of time to watch this. Or you can um, be like me and watch it when Beach tells you to. Yeah. Um, but we're going to go through. I, I mean, I have pages and notes, and we're going to go through. Uh, what happens in the film, everything was going to be spoiled, and uh, we're just going to talk about it. Um, I have a great appreciation for this film. Reed has left me in the dark as to what he thinks about it, other than the fact that he liked it, whatever that means. Um, so uh, Reed and I will be talking about it here starting now, uh, 1987's Lethal Weapon. I don't know about you, uh, being that you, you've come to this movie so uh, late in life, even though you're like the ripe old age of 18. Um, I am 21, thank you very much. Are you really? So, yes, I am. That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were so... I, I thought you turned... were like 18. <laughs> no, God, no. I just... Uh, uh, God, that means I would have started started joining the site uh, when I was 14. My goodness, I can't do that. No, I, I just turned 21 like two months ago, so... So... When I think of Lethal Weapon, I always think of Die Hard as well because those are kind of like one okay. A and one B to me. I was gonna mention this. This that's what I was expecting, basically. It was okay. a Die Hard movie, pretty right. much, well, except not. Well, let's start off this way. Just being brief, you don't have to get into it. But are you a Die Hard fan? Uh, I, I it's a good movie. I like it. Okay. I've I've seen it. I think I've only seen it maybe once or twice, but it's a fun movie to watch. Yes, it it's is. Fun. It's a, it's, a it's an 80s movie. 80s, which this is too, of course. But it's, it's a, very 80s. It's a near-perfect movie It's the correct answer, but okay, we'll save that for a later episode. <laughs> so sure. so uh, Lethal, Weapon open, Lethal Weapon opens. We're flying over the city, and uh, Jingle Bell Rock is playing. Kind of a happy song. 
That's what that like literally that was like oh Shane Black. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um and the slim- similarities between Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, I mean they just begin right here. We're setting Christmas time, Christmas music's playing, and uh we're just soaring over the city. Where where are we going? So the camera enters down into the city, into a room, and we're we see a uh, very naked lady. Um, very attractive. Uh, she looks to be high. She has like this really um, this look of euphoria on her face. Can I just she bends quick, that, yeah. that 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 one shot right there? That's an incredible shot. Yes. Of of how it goes down. I was like, what? At first, I was like, oh, this is like some random. Of course, we have random stock footage of L.A. And then the shot just kind of kept on going. It turned around, and then it actually zoomed in onto. A, a a window and I was like, oh, that's really okay. I'm that that's immediately I was like, okay, this is going to be different than what I expected. We don't know who this lady is. She's euphoric. She's bending over. She's doing lines of coke. Um, so we know that things aren't on the up and up completely. Um, and all the while, what's that? Is that confirmed? Do you know that? What coke? It's not yeah. on the up and up. I mean, you don't know that. That's just, just opinion. I would I would assume so. I don't know what they're teaching these millennials these days, but <laughs> um, I was always taught that drugs were bad. <laughs> All right, drugs are bad. So, um, if you say so. So you you get the the this is something that comes up a, a couple times I noticed, and it's um, this juxtaposition between the music and what you're seeing on screen. And they don't really match. Um, and I think it's completely intentional. It's not like a kind of a fool's errand thing here. You, you still got Jingle Bell Rock playing, and you're watching this this not disturbing scene, but some, something feels not right. This woman looks high as a kite, and she's completely naked, and she's in a room by herself. Um, and she climbs up onto the balcony of her hotel room, and she's a number of stories up. Um, I'd say at least 10 to 13 stories and, I mean, the music, you're starting to get a little bit of score here. It's starting to get a little more um, dreadful. But you can still hear the bells in the background behind the score. So I thought that was unique. Um, you, you, you feel the tension ratcheting up, but you still hear the Christmas bells in the back. So it's it's a little off-putting. Um, but she, uh, she jumps, and she dies. Um, so she jumps out the window and lands on a car. And uh, obviously... actress here we don't know her name yet her character name the actress name is jackie swanson and she actually did this jump on her own um just a bit of uh trivia here they so this is 1987 so special effects cgi it's not really a thing yet so all this stuff they have to find practical ways to do it um and what they did was she jumped and what she did was she jumped out the window onto an airbag with a life-size painting 
of the driveway and the cars and everything, and they use miniatures to visually blend everything together. Huh. And then the point of impact in the actual film, the point of impact you see from inside the car. So you see the hood of the car just come smashing down. So I thought that was really, uh, really cool. Um, That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a really mm-hmm. creative way to to get around the fact of not having CGI at the time, which is something I miss because, I mean, I, I like CGI. I mean, it helps a lot with a lot of things, but it. I think when you don't have that kind of crutch to lean on, it causes you to get really creative. Um, it makes a, a it makes a kind of complaint. Can you, as a filmmaker, kind of complaints it? Uh, I can't speak. You know, lazy complaint. Like you can just be like, oh, we'll just do it in CGI later instead of finding exactly. creative ways to do it. You know. Yep. Um, and that's that's a, a a note that I'm going to bring up a little bit later in terms of uh, newer action films versus back in the day. So in the next scene, we meet Roger Murtaugh, played by Danny Glover, in um, perhaps my favorite favorite Danny Glover role, except Ooh. for except for Angels in the Outfield. Well, see, one of my favorite films of all time is uh, Saw, which he is in. So I kind of know him from that uh of course i don't think he's really great in that movie though but uh he is i love danny glover or danny glover i was called danny glover so murtaugh is shown in his in his house and it's an it's a nice suburban house he's getting a bath and we we learn that it's his 50th birthday today um in something that I thought was a little bit weird i don't know how you felt about it maybe this was a thing in the 80s i don't know i was young um I know exactly what you're going to bring up. His family runs in. I mean, he's in he's in the bath. And I was like, so confused. I mean, they're 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 running in, and they're it, it's like he has like three kids, and two of them are younger. One of them's um you know late teens, not of adult age yet, and his wife, and they all run in, and they're wishing him a happy birthday and everything. But the, but Murtaugh very clearly does not have any bubbles in his bath, and these kids are like right up on him. So you could just. These kids had to be just like looking down at his stuff. <laughs> how do you avoid that? And how is why, why is this acceptable? Why is this, the mom letting this happen? I am so happy you brought this up because I almost forgot about it until you said something. Because when I remember, I watched it and I go, "What the f- what? Why? I'm not going to walk in when my dad's taking a fucking bath. <laughs> I would never do that. That's a farthest thing I would do. Oh my god." It was uh, just a weird bit of – I don't know. Maybe it was accepted in the 80s, but like I watched this right away, and I was just like, why are they doing this? This is weird. Like, It's like one thing when it's like a four-year-old walks in, which I think was one of the kids' days. I don't know. But like the mom comes in too with the kids and everyone. It's like, what is going like on? That, like, one of the older kids like comes up to him and like kisses him on the head, and <laughs> yeah. I'm like, there's no way she didn't just see his stuff. There's no way. Um, so unless anyway. I, unless everyone took baths with swimsuits on. So, uh, not to get all racial, but one of my favorite things about this movie is how um, flipped everything is in regards to. I mean, you got to put yourself in an '80s frame of mind, um, the way things were, and how like race relations and everything were. Um, but in this movie, just much like the music, like what I mentioned earlier with the the cheery music to the 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 more frightening visuals, so everything is juxtaposed between one end in the other and you see that in Merton Riggs's characters um especially 
I mean, I mean, that's kind of like the the biggest point of the movie. But you, you got Roger Murtaugh here, who is a black man, obviously played by Danny Glover, who's older. I mean, he's a well-established cop, and then from this first scene, weird bathroom ritual aside, we see that he's got a nice house. He's obviously got some money. He's got a very nice, loving family, and I mean, he's just like a, this this nice suburban guy. Yeah. Who would typically you would think would be oh this is going to be you know your your white cop who's ready to retire or whatever, um, but that's flipped on its head in *Lethal Weapon*, especially when you get to the next scene and we meet uh, Riggs. So uh, Martin Riggs, played by Mel Gibson, is kind of white trash. I mean, uh, <laughs> just to, just from this opening scene, you see he's in an RV. It's not a particularly nice RV. It's small, cramped. It's parked on a beach. Everything looks disheveled. It's kind of dirty inside. Riggs wakes up. He has crazy hair, um, butt naked. He has a dog. And that's the extent of what we know about Riggs at this point. Um, so uh, just a, a little fun fact here I found. So the comparisons, we've already made some comparisons to Die Hard, between Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Um, but I didn't realize that for Lethal Weapon, Bruce Willis was initially offered the role of oh. Riggs. And he turned it down, and it went to Mel Gibson. Now, if that's not weird enough for you, a year later, when Die Hard came out, the role of John McClane was offered to Mel Gibson, who turned <laughs> it out and went to Bruce Willis. So, What the heck? That's funny. Yeah, very weird. They're both, um, both movies were produced by Joel Silver. Um both had the same uh, – Michael came and did the music and everything. But it's like that weird kind of role reversal. Could you imagine Lethal Weapon with Bruce Willis and Die Hard with, with yeah. uh, Mel Gibson? It's kind of weird. Um, but I just want to throw this out here too. It's a shame uh, what's come to light with Mel Gibson in the last decade or so yeah. uh, because this dude was legitimately one of my favorite actors of all time. And still maybe. I mean, I don't know if that's anti-Semitic of me to say. This guy's just so good. And he's so good in this movie. Uh, we'll talk about some of the intensity. But no one does like intense crazy like Mel Gibson. No one touches him. Yeah. Maybe because he's actually intense and crazy. Because he's actually freaking insane. But uh, yeah, uh, some of his stuff in this um, – I have some other fun facts when we get to him. But some of, this, some of the, his performance in this is really amazing stuff. Um, so the next scene, we're back with Murtaugh, and he's um, he's going through the kitchen. His wife told him uh, a man named Hunsaker called, and we find out it's a Vietnam uh, War buddy. And this Hunsaker, uh, in some ways, saved Murtaugh's life in the Vietnam War. So we find Murtaugh is a Vietnam vet as well. Um, later, we also find that the woman who jumped out of the window in the opening scene who we now know is named Amanda Hunsacker was this man's daughter. Um, and Murtaugh is kind of uh, sad and disheveled that he has to go speak to an old friend um, and let him know that his daughter is dead. Uh, Murtaugh is a high-ranking uh, police detective here. So Murtaugh arrives on the scene of the crime. Uh, there's a hooker there having her statement taken. He kind of throws a couple jabs at her. Uh, <laughs> just playful uh, banter, which she doesn't appreciate very much. Um, and that's the end of that scene. 
we go back to Riggs, and this is an awesome scene. Uh, so Riggs is in a Christmas tree yard, and uh, he's there with three men. None of the men are named. They're just uh, kind of seedy-looking drug dealer types. And we come to find that they're making a deal uh, for cocaine. So uh, Mel's intensity here is something else. This is where we first start seeing uh, the kind of the little pieces that this man is is not all there. There's something severely wrong. Um, so Mel's tasting the coke and determines that he likes it and he wants to buy all of it. The three men very happy uh, discuss and they're happy to unload it all in one in one fell swoop here, and they say they want a hundred for it. So Mel Gibson pulls out his wallet and starts counting out a hundred dollars. He gets like twenty, forty, sixty, and then he's down to like fives and ones. <laughs> and the men are looking at each other and they're they're starting to get angrier and angrier when they figure out what's going on. They obviously want a hundred thousand, and uh, and Mel Gibson wants to give him a hundred dollars. How much for how much? For all of it. You want it all? Yep. He wants it he all. He wants it all. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Congratulations. Maybe a nice six-footer to put it under, huh? <laughs> you want a tree? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll give you the best tree I got in a lot for nothing. Hey, thanks. But the shit's going to cost you, uh, a hundred. What, that much? Hey, you said you liked it. That's a fair price. Yeah. Yeah, hell, you only live once. <laughs> <laughs> Get this together here. <laughs> 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, I take the whole stash off your hands for free. And you assholes can go to jail. Hey, what do you whoa, say about that? At this point, you see Mel go from like comedic and kind of goofy to intense at the drop of a dime. He does this little Three Stooges routine. Uh, they call him crazy, and he starts kind of like smacking himself in the head. And then he smacks one of them, pokes the other like in the eye. It's like a real Three Stooges thing, but immediately whips out a gun and pulls it on them. And he pulls out his badge, and we see that he's a cop. Um, so there's a man in a truck behind him that has a shotgun, sneaks up behind him. Riggs dives out of the way. Shotgun blast goes to the guy in front of him, and kind of this gunplay ensues. Uh, Riggs takes out all the uh, all the guys except for one. He disappears into the the Christmas tree lot, and we, we're not sure where he's at. Turns out there's backup with the cops there. They were all running in. Riggs is yelling at them what's going on. As he's looking for this last guy, he appears and holds the gun to Riggs's head and then uh, holds it up under his chin. All the while, Riggs is telling the other cops who are slowly circling around to just shoot him, just shoot him, just shoot him. And he's saying it, just shoot him, just shoot him. And the, the tension's really ratcheting up. It's a high, a high tense situation. Riggs doesn't seem to care. It's just shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. And obviously the cops aren't going to do that because they're in their right mind, even though Riggs may not be. I shoot him. Drop it, prick. I shoot him. What? Shoot him. Shoot him. Shut the fuck shoot. up. Somebody shoot this prick. Shoot him. 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 Sh
Riggs takes a gun in this moment of high tension and headbutts headbutts the guy, disarms him, and then pulls the gun on him. And it looks like he's like within a hair of getting ready to blow this guy's head off. And it, it literally takes this uh, random cop just to come over, take the gun, tell him it's not worth it. Just try to back him off of the ledge, so to speak. Uh, so again, we're seeing shades of Riggs being completely unhinged. We're not sure why he's unhinged yet. So back in the RV uh, with Riggs again, this is another allusions to the the first scene with the music, the, the kind of the, the goofy score and we're seeing some intense stuff. We're back in Riggs' dirty RV and um, Looney Tunes is playing in the background on his television set. So I you will get, say, like, before, I don't want to interrupt, sorry, but uh, this is probably my favorite scene of the movie. So, this one right here? Yeah, I think so. This is um, this is an intense scene. Yeah. So Looney Tunes is playing, you, you get like uh, Daffy Duck, um, who was the other one? Bugs Bunny. Um, you're getting all that kind of comedic audio and it's not in frame at all i mean we're we're completely on um, mel gibson's face here and uh he's just looking at a bullet and he's studying it and he it's more that i mean this is a scene where i mean it's lingering on every on every frame and it's it's just one of those things that, i mean it lingers and lingers and lingers but it's completely drawing you into what's going on mm-hmm He's just studying this bullet, and then he puts it. He loads it into his gun, and he holds it to his forehead. And then we notice that he's holding a photo of what presumably looks like his wife. I believe it's a picture of him and his wife on their wedding day or something. And then he takes the gun and places it in his mouth, and the camera cuts to a close-up of the trigger. All the while, I mean, we're listening to Looney Tunes. Uh, you get some subtle score coming in, just like in the first scene. It's starting to like get a... a a little intense, but you're still, you can still hear the Looney Tunes and, um, it lingers here and it's lingering on the trigger and he, and Riggs's face. And it's just a very intense, uh, just an intense scene. And finally, after what seems like a lot of like endless moments, he just breaks down and he can't do it. And he's sobbing and there's tears in his eyes. And he says, I miss you. And you can just tell he's he's a completely broken man at this point. Um, that was such a powerful like performance right there. Yeah, and like it, even a, even after he puts the gun down, like you said, it just it's so genuine, you know. Yeah, it's such a like, yeah. Um, after he says "I miss you," the camera lingers on him, and I, I feel like a lesser director would have just cut at the "I miss you" and we're back with Murtaugh or whatever. Yeah, but he doesn't. He just lingers there on his face again. And you see Mel Gibson just continuing to react, and he says, silly, isn't it? I'll see you later. And then he goes, I'll see you much later. I miss you.
ですね。はい。So there was an interesting thing that I heard about.、Um, they teach in film school. I've, always, I've never been to film school or taken classes or anything, but they always tell、um, when you're directing a film to never cut early, to always go a couple seconds later because you don't know、mm. what type of performance you're going to get out of the actor. Now, those last two lines that I read off there were not in the script. That's Mel Gibson.、Oh. The scene ends with I miss you. And then we're off to the next thing. So, like I said, a lesser director, if he would have cut there or just gone completely by the script or not trusted the actors or whatever, he would have missed those three, last three lines, which were, I mean, arguably in my mind, better than just him have, having him say, I miss you. Yeah.、Um, so, another fun fact I, I found, about, uh, found out about this scene, or two fun facts, actually.、Um, so, fun fact number one. The bullet that he put in the gun is an actual blank. Yeah,、um, I, saw, I read about that. When he's holding the gun to his head, it's loaded with a blank.、Um, and Mel Gibson, this was his choice. He wanted to do it that way because he felt like it would give him a greater sense of realism and, and dramatically what's going on.、Um, Which is insane if he、absolutely. accidentally pulled the bullet. Like, this guy is genuinely insane. Because right away, my mind goes to Brandon Lee and the crow, and that's how Brandon Lee died. Yeah, exactly. He died from、uh, catching a blank、um, in the head. So,、um, fun fact number two. So, Mel Gibson was hired to, to do this、um, role, obviously. And he would come up to Donner. So, like, this scene is scheduled. And, and with most movies, I'm sure as most people, most people know, Things aren't shot in order all the time. Very rarely are things shot in order、um, yeah. for budget reasons or location reasons, or you know, sometimes you have actors' schedules and whatnot.、Um, but multiple times throughout the shooting, Mel Gibson would come up to, to Richard Donner and say, Not today. We can't do it today. And Donner would just say, Okay, we'll move it. And he's talking about this scene.、Um, so f r o m Mel Gibson, and I, 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 I think largely, The crux of the movie is in this scene. I mean, this is, this is who Riggs is at this point. And not only for the, this movie,、uh, but for the entire series of movies.、Um, and, you, well, and also, like, this scene is like, you know, obviously, you say your first, inter- not first introduction, but your more emotional thing. You almost don't even, like, know who he's crying about. You can get a good sense. For me, the first time when I watched it, for some reason, I thought he, it was the same girl as the person that jumped out off、mm. the roof. I thought it was like, and he was just crying off of that. But then you realize, obviously, the next scene about、uh, some information that was given to you. Yeah. That's what I love, especially about older movies like this, is they don't beat you over the head with, with plot details.、Um, oh, yeah. My favorite movies is just like, you have to figure it out yourself. Sometimes. And, and, I, and the story, sorry to interrupt, but、uh, the story like, continues to unfold in front of you if you just wait. You know? Yeah. And,、um, yeah, I, I, maybe it's a, a crutch of more modern movies or, or movies of a lesser quality, but where they constantly having to remind you of the plot details. Or maybe it's like, I don't know, this generation's ADHD or whatever. But,、um, yeah, but everyone there... has ADHD these days. <laughs> this is but, not just a random. But obviously, there's stuff that's going on with Riggs right now that you're not supposed to know yet.、Um, 
and you just have to watch it play out. You know as much as uh, what's soon to be Murtaugh knows. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, Mel Gibson would just come up to Donner and say, we can't do it today, or we can't do it today. And he did this multiple times, and it was just all about Gibson getting in the right mentality because he knew what the scene was. And it was Donner giving him the leeway to, to be able to do that and to just trust him and say, okay – we, we go when Mel Gibson says we go because mm-hmm. a lot of the movie hinges on this performance um, in particular in this scene. So if you don't if you don't buy the crazy man who we just saw do like a Three Stooges routine on three drug dealers, <laughs> <laughs> you buy it in this in this scene. You realize okay, this guy's seriously like a he's he's obviously broken. B probably crazy, and C. It seems like he may have a death wish, um, and that's the entire movie there. So, I thought that was um, really cool. It's not something you you really hear about directors giving that much leeway to actors to just to move a schedule around like that. But I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, so back to the police, the police departments, uh, and to hammer home the Christmas theme again. There, you get some cops uh, in the hallway harmonizing "Silent Nights," and. Uh, so you get this juxtaposition again. We're, we're cutting back and forth between how different the worlds that these two cops live in are, Riggs and Murtaugh. Um, we go down the hall, and there's a psychologist trying to convince uh, the chief of police that Riggs has a psychosis, and he's dangerous to be in the field. Uh, this chief's kind of a, a jerk. <laughs> he seems very unconcerned, yeah. and he's, he basically – he's he, it's not his worry, even if Riggs offs himself, quote unquote, offs himself. So there's really not much care given to uh, to Riggs here, um, and that's that's just the extent of, of what you see. You don't know much about the chief here, um, but he obviously doesn't care about Riggs very much. Um, we're back with Murtaugh. He's in the in the department. Um, he's not buying the girl's death as a suicide. It's not sufficient to him. Something, something's not adding up. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we find out that there are pills found in the room and they were doctored with drain cleaner. So even if the girl wouldn't have jumped out the window, she would have been dead in a short time anyway. So, I mean, her, her fate was sealed regardless of how, how it was going to play out. So something's not, something's not right there. Murtaugh thinks there are other people in the room, and there is some some element of foul play in this in this quote unquote what seems to be a suicide. Um, so all the while while we're learning this, we get this really funny thing of uh, Murtaugh's looking at the scruffy guy down the hall, uh, disheveled, wearing like a, a flannel kind of only buttoned up halfway scraggly hair who we know is Riggs because <laughs> we've been with him. Uh, but he's just, he's like leaning on a desk and he's just kind of, I mean, he looks like he could have been, could have been a criminal very easily mistaken for a criminal. Um, and Riggs pulls out his gun. Murtaugh flips out, yells gun, 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 and runs after him to tackle him. And Riggs just flips him on his back <laughs> uh, and pulls his gun on him. And then they obviously come up and say, Murtaugh, meet your new partner. So this is the first formal introduction of Murtaugh and Riggs. We're treated to an awkward getting-to-know-each-other scene. They're, they're comparing guns, um, talking about what what one another shoots. Um, and we find that Riggs is completely 
aware of everyone thinking he's crazy. And they think he's either acting acting crazy to draw a psycho pension or that he's suicidal. And either way, he's screwed. <laughs> so um, <laughs> no one wants to work with him. And Murtaugh goes, I don't want to work with you. <laughs> uh, so uh, Murtaugh, who's this is still his 50th birthday, the day of his 50th birthday. He's obviously pretty close to retirement for a cop. Um, and he just, he, he's just kind of, he can't believe his dumb luck. He's been paired with the psychopath. <laughs> um, and Murtaugh's in the car. There's this kind of funny line, but also it, it's, it's funny in a, a one-off, but it's kind of really telling as to, to where these guys' mentalities are. Um, Murtaugh just goes, God hates me. That's what it is. And Riggs just looks at him in like that intense Mel Gibson stare and he goes, hate him back. It works for me. <laughs> and that ends that scene. So I suppose we have to register you as a lethal weapon. <laughs> hey, look, friend, let's just cut the shit. Now, we both know why I was transferred. Everybody thinks I'm suicidal, in which case I'm fucked and nobody wants to work with me. Or they think I'm faking to draw a psycho pension, in which case I'm fucked and nobody wants to work with me. Basically, I'm fucked. Guess what? What? I don't want to work with you. Hey, don't. Ain't got no choice. Looks like we both are fucked. Terrific. God hates me, that's what it is. Hate him back, it works for me. We meet uh, a blonde-headed man named Mr. Mr. Joshua. This is Gary Busey pre-motorcycle accident. Um, yeah. So pre um, – maybe he was a little bit crazy back then, but uh, he looked to be in a much better mental health back here. <laughs> um, but his name is Mr. Joshua. There's a heroin deal going on, and uh, we get a brief show of loyalty by Mr. Joshua. There's a, um, a boss – I don't even know if it's ever said. I don't know, recall what the boss's name was, but he's he's implied to be the head honcho of this operation, this heroin deal. Um, and we see we see a show of Mr. Joshua's loyalty. The employer holds a lighter under Mr. Joshua's arm, and Mr. Joshua just stands there stoically, getting burned until the employer tells him it's okay to stop. So um, we see that there's. At least movie-wise, there is some sort of in, some threat of insanity going on with this character as well. Just a little bit. Um, so we're back with Murtaugh, and he's breaking the news to Hunsaker, if you remember his old Vietnam buddy, uh, that his daughter's death he believes was a murderer. And we find out that um, she'd gotten into porn, and uh, and things weren't great. Uh, in terms of uh, where she was in life and things, kind of the things that she was dabbling in. Riggs is there. He's standing off to the side. He's not really uh, joining in on the conversation. And, uh, and Hunsacker asks Murtaugh for a favor. And he brings up the fact that he saved his life in Vietnam. Uh, the The line was he took a bayonet to the lungs for him. So, I mean, that's that's... I'd say you owe him Murtaugh. That's that's hey, quite yeah. the, uh, that's quite the favor. Um, but Hunsaker wants him wants Murtaugh to find whoever did this and kill them. Obviously, Murtaugh. I mean, Murtaugh's a upstanding cop from everything we know so far. So he's kind of uh, fighting him on it a little bit, saying, you know, you obviously can't do that. That's outside the law. But it's left unclear. Hunsaker's being trying to be very, uh, very 
very much convinced them that this is what needs to happen. We get a call about a jumper, um, Riggs and Murtaugh on the police radio. There's this funny little uh, side bit where Riggs is constantly asking to drive the car, and Murtaugh won't <laughs> let him. Uh, so they put on the siren, and they're going to go investigate what this is about. So we get another another scene of uh, of Riggs's mental state, followed by perhaps my favorite scene of the movie. Um, but so we're 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 somewhere in the city, and there is a a man up on a ledge, and he's threatening to jump. Riggs offers to go up and talk him down. Murtaugh says, "Do you have do you have experience with this?" Riggs says, "Yes." Obviously, he does not, but he goes up anyway. So Riggs is up there. And for a few minutes, he's um, really trying to play nice with this guy. Guy, just um, casual business-looking guy. Uh, this actor's performance gets me every time I watch this movie because it's so bad. It's it's god-awful. I was <laughs> like, oh, my God. Oh, it's it's pretty awful, but it's, it's kind of funny, too. Um, You're going to put me down. No. <laughs> you don't know nothing. So Riggs is up there and he's he's trying to talk the man down and he's trying to relate to him and basically saying like I I know what you're going through trust me I mean uh, you wouldn't know but like trust I know I know exactly where you're at and um and he's just trying to talk the man down and Riggs through talking to this man gets out on the ledge with him while keeping distance uh, and at one point Riggs just goes. Hey man, my boss is down there. I'm just trying to look good for my boss. Um, he's just trying to reason with the guy. So he builds up like this little rapport in a minute, within a minute or two, and uh, offers him a cigarette. So the man goes to take a cigarette, and at that point, Riggs handcuffs him. And not only does he handcuff him, he handcuffs him to himself. So <laughs> these two men are handcuffed together now. And Riggs, this is Riggs' grand method of uh, getting this man off the ledge. Basically says. Now you can't jump because if you jump, you're a murderer. You're taking me with you. You'll be a cop killer. Do you want to be a cop killer? <laughs> and this guy is understandably irate. And this guy is still trying to fight him on it. And again, you see the classic Riggs dro- like snap on a drop of a dime. You get Mel Gibson crazy eyes and he looks at him and he's like, do you want to jump? Do you really want to jump? And the guy starts looking like very scared, and Riggs, let's jump! I want to jump! I want to jump! And he just like a lot like when the the drug dealer in the beginning of the movie is holding the gun to his head, and he's just going shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. Like he gets that where he starts repeating his line over and over again. Like he gets in this mentality of if if he starts doing this thing, like it, it's going to happen. And uh, he, he grabs a hold of the guy and he jumps. <laughs> Do you really want to jump? Do you wanna? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Let's do it, asshole. Let's do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. Jumps off the roof with the guy right into the um, inflatable like airbag that the police put down there. In that classic slow motion 80s style. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So uh, one of the little like hilarious bits, I don't know if you caught it. I caught it on this latest viewing. The handcuff that they used... You know, they kind of cut out to a wide shot a little bit when they do the jump mm-hmm. so that you can see everything that's going on. The handcuffs break immediately. <laughs> so the two <laughs> men grab each other's hands <laughs> and they do the fall that way. Um, that's but that funny. Was, that is kind of funny. 
Are they still handcuffed when they land? I believe so. I think they are too, yeah. That's funny. I didn't notice that. So, uh, so both men are down safely, and the jumpers, um, obviously irate, but they're, he's being taken in police custody right now. Murtar comes over, obviously irate at Riggs's methods of getting the man down. Um, and then we go into this empty building off to the side, and this is one of my favorite scenes of the movies, uh, of, of the movie. Yeah. Um, you get Murtaugh confronting Riggs and basically saying, do you really want to kill yourself? Because at this point, I think, I, th- I believe Murtaugh believes it's an act. I believe he's, thinks he's drawn, trying to draw a psycho pension or get attention or, or something. He doesn't really know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Murtaugh's confronting him and saying, basically confronting him and saying, do you want to kill yourself? And Riggs goes full on emotion and he says, you get a little bit of insight. He says, every night he tries to kill himself, and the reason he doesn't is the job. The job's the only thing that keeps him from doing that. He says, I even have a hollow point bullet to make sure I get the job done correctly. So that bullet, he was studying its hollow point. He goes, it'll blow out the back of my head, make sure the job's done correctly. Murtaugh's still not buying it and offers him his gun. <laughs> gives Riggs his gun and tells him to do it. So Riggs is holding it to his head and Murtaugh goes, no, put it in your mouth. He goes, I don't want to make sure it doesn't go through your ear canal or something and just blow out a little part of your brain and you, and you still live. So Riggs puts the gun in his mouth. And again, you're seeing like how much pressure does this trigger need before it actually fires? Because Riggs is like full on engaging the trigger. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a a lot like mirroring, uh, which you said your favorite scene was in, in the, in the RV, you get a few like really lingering seconds of what's going on, and you're getting cuts between the, the two eyes men. And finally, Murtaugh grabs the gun and looks at me and says, "You really are crazy." And Riggs or Murtaugh is really starting to believe it. So we cut to Murtaugh. He's talking to the therapist and says he, he thinks Riggs has a death wish. And um, the therapist says basically he does and he's a ticking time bomb. And whenever he goes off, you don't want to be anywhere near him. So we get, we're treated to some more kind of the Murtaugh self-pity, like why me type stuff. Um, and yeah, then humor too old for this shit. Yeah, the line that comes up in multiple times in every one of the films. Yep. Um, and humorously, we're back with Riggs, and he's sitting on Murtaugh's car, eating a sandwich, casual like nothing happened. They get a lead on Amanda Hunsacker's murder. And this is like, I don't know if it's a mansion, but it's not far off from a mansion. Beautiful pool outside. Um, Riggs and Murtaugh are walking up. They see two women doing lines of coke inside immediately. Um, and almost instantly, they start getting shot at. So Murtaugh shoots one of the assailants in the leg, and Riggs grabs the two women and handcuffs them to a tree, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> that was hilarious. Uh, then we get the, the kind of um, 
this is another thing that comes up in the movies a lot, but like Murtaugh is supposedly, well, definitely the older, but supposedly the wiser cop as well is lecturing Riggs on how to do things the right way and not killing people. Um, he's like, I shot him in the leg and now I can go question him and I can arrest him and I can do this and that. Um, but the guy picks up a, di- the, the guy who got shot in the leg has a different gun and he pulls it in Riggs fires a couple bullets into him and he falls backwards into the pool which had a pool cover over top of it so like he gets like real tangled up in the pool cover inside the pool and they dive in try to save him but he was dead already which my thing is Murtov got mad at Riggs for killing him at that point it's like like wouldn't you rather your life be okay than have this guy possibly pull out another fucking gun and kill you he already pulled out one like come on yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I think Murtaugh really wanted to question the guy and follow up on the lead, but what are you going to do? Riggs saved yeah. your life. He so. saved your life, although he did mention afterwards. Yeah, in the next scene, Murtaugh apologizes to him and acknowledges that Riggs saved his life. So it's probably one of those uh, heat-of-the-moment angry-type deals. Yeah. Um, so we're back at the Murtaugh house, and, uh, and Murtaugh has brought Riggs to his family. He's introducing him, and he invited him over for dinner. Murtaugh's oldest daughter seems to have a crush on Riggs, and Murtaugh yeah. seems very aware of it, and he does not like it one bit. There's <laughs> it, it more scenes where you, you just see that Murtaugh's like a, a he's a family man. He's a really great dad. They have a real close knit family, and um, um, obviously the bathtub scene shows that they have a close knit family. <laughs> yeah, in the wrong way. <laughs> in the wrong way. But uh, this is a this is I believe this is the first time. That you, you, you see Riggs kind of smiling a little bit in the movie and not in like a, a psychotic, crazy way like he's about to do something stupid. But he's like – you can see that he's he sees the Murtaugh family and he sees how close they are and they're kind of being accepting towards him and everything. So um, maybe feeling a little bit of acceptance in this scene. Riggs and Murtaugh are out in his boat. He has a, a boat out in his driveway. Murtaugh's providing a simplistic explanation of what he thinks Amanda's murder was, and Riggs thinks there's more to it. Um, on the more comedic side, you also get Murtaugh fiddling around with a boat. You find out Murtaugh doesn't even really know much about a boat. He bought a boat, and he doesn't know much about it, uh, and Riggs is trying to educate him a little bit about it. Um, but ultimately, the, the crux of the scene is um, Riggs trying to get Murtaugh to trust him in as much as Murtaugh possibly could at that point. Um, and we get a little bit of backstory on Riggs. We find out that he was a sniper. He was also in Vietnam as well, and he's a uh, he's a crack shot. Riggs leaves, um, and we're back with Murtaugh. He's going through his mail. He's getting uh, there's some happy birthday packages and everything, but there's also a package of police evidence um, that was sent to him. So he opens it up. It contains a yearbook, which we find out is Amanda Hunsacker's yearbook, and there's a tape which um, we, we come to find is a porno tape with Amanda on it. So he's watching that, studying it. Um, he's definitely studying <laughs> it. Uh, Riggs suspects, the next day, Riggs suspects the other hooker killed Amanda. Now, if you remember way back in like the second scene, the hooker that um, Murtaugh kind of took some jabs at, this is the hooker that we're talking about. Riggs thinks she has something to do with um, what was going on here, or at least she knows something that that could be vital. And then they're also at the shooting range, and we get to see evidence of Mar- Riggs' mark- marksmanship. We also see that Murtaugh's not a bad shot either. Murtaugh's actually very proud of his marksmanship 
and then Riggs just completely one-ups them and makes them feel uh, not so great. So, um, so that hooker from the first scene, uh, or the second scene, the, the one who's still alive, is named Dixie, and they're going to visit her. So in broad daylight, um, Riggs and Murtaugh pull up. It looks like it's um, kind of like a, a lower-income portion of town. Um, there's some neighborhood children sitting off the side. It can't be more than five or six years old. Uh, just kind of like some neighborhood kids playing. And they're walking up to Dixie's house, and it blows up. Uh, so they question the neighborhood kids about what, what they had seen. One kid in particular says that he saw a tall blonde man with uh, tattoos, and the, the man was messing with the gas meter of this house. And the tattoo, the boy points out, is the same one that Riggs has. And we come to find that Riggs's tattoo is a special forces tattoo he got from Vietnam. So that's kind of leading him in the direction of whoever this is. This man obviously has some military training, served in the military at some point. Um, Murtaugh heads back, questions Hunsacker, the father, and says he's come to the conclusion that Amanda didn't get killed because of what she was into, but because of what he was into, what Hunsacker, the father, was into. Um, he was caught up in something. This is Murtaugh's theory. He was caught up in something, and they targeted his daughter to get to him. Um, and Hunsacker admits to working with a CIA, CIA front called Air America. They're mercenaries and trained killers in the company – this company has been bringing in heroin twice per year, giant shipments of heroin, and they obviously profit a lot a lot off of that. Hunsacker was going to blow the whistle on the whole operation, and they killed his daughter for it. They couldn't kill him because the bank he worked at was the perfect front for laundering all this money. Um, so that was their way of trying to get him in line. Obviously, he's hidden all this from Murtaugh, and that, and that explains why he wanted that Murtaugh to just go and outright kill them um which is the classic uh i'm going to explain everything that's going on scene yeah but exposition dump exposition scene yeah it's not that brutal though it's not that long no no no. i was about to say it's a lot better than most yeah Uh, um it's like hey this is going on bad guys take them out plus it leads to this a helicopter appears and there's a sniper in there and it takes out hunsacker shoots him dead Riggs is outside and he just has his pistol, but he starts unloading multiple clips into this chopper, like his pistol is going to take down the chopper. I mean, he just unlo- <laughs> he unloads like two clips into while the chopper flies away. Um, they get away. I love because it just shows how crazy he is. Like he actually thinks a pistol is going to take out a flying chopper that's f- flying miles away. Not only that, like he just has this like pit bull mentality of it doesn't right. matter what the odds are, he's just going to do it. Like exactly. he doesn't think it's just instinct. Um, so he unloads like two clips in there. Uh, it's all futile. They get away, and you find out that it was, of course, Mister Joshua, who's the man in the helicopter shooting the rifle. Um, so Riggs is seen on the street questioning other prostitutes about Dixie. Um, Dixie died in the house explosion. Uh, and there's this drive drive-by that happens. So car comes speeding up. Shotgun blast takes out Riggs, sends him through pane glass window. Obviously, it's Mr. Joshua again. Car speeds off. Um, Murtaugh runs towards Riggs, and it's revealed Riggs is wearing a bulletproof, bulletproof vest. Thankfully, 
Otherwise, he would have been a goner. He remarks about how much that hurt. And then uh, Riggs claims that he got a good look at him, and it was the same guy that offed Hunsaker. So mm. he also mentions this little tidbit um, that now Merton and Riggs have the edge because they think that Riggs is dead. So they're going to they're gonna play that up a bit. Immediately, right after this happened, Murtaugh Mur- gets a call from the PD, and something's gone, something's gone down, and the description of this boy matches the exact description of a boy that his daughter was dating, his older, his older daughter, the one that kind of had a crush on Riggs. Mm-hmm. So they race back because now Murtaugh's starting to put pieces together and thinks his family may be in danger. They race back to his house, and we find that his daughter's been kidnapped, the, the eldest daughter. While Murtaugh and Riggs are in the house, Joshua calls. Murtaugh. You have a very beautiful daughter. If I were you, I would stick by the phone to find out where to meet us. You got my kid. Bastards took my baby. Mr. Joshua then calls the PD. And anonymously and asks about the whereabouts of Riggs and the PD confirms his death. So obviously at this point, the PD's in on it. They know what's going on. So I thought that was a little bit of like smart storytelling. Um, yeah. Having, having uh, Joshua call in the PD to confirm. Uh, so <clears throat> this next shot I, I made in particular, and I thought this was a beautiful shot. Um, you get Riggs and Murtaugh standing next to the Christmas tree and they're just illuminated by the red light coming off the Christmas tree. And it kind of lingers there for a little bit. I just thought that was a really nice shot. I'm forgetting the shot now. Damn it. This is what I do. I notice good shots. So uh, Murtaugh acknowledges that he knows they'll kill his daughter, basically, if they're ruthless. And, I mean, there's he's not, he's not blind as to, to what can really happen here. And Riggs say... We have to do this his way. It's the only way it'll work. And and basically, you're, you're you're seeing the first little bits of Murtaugh beginning to trust Riggs in this moment. If you want her back? You're gonna have to take her away from the. I know. Right. We do this my way. You shoot. You shoot to kill. You get as many as you can. All you gotta do is just not miss. I won't miss. We're gonna get bloody on this one, Roger. Are you really crazy? Or are you as good as you say you are? You're gonna have to trust me. And uh, Riggs's, mo- Riggs's way, of course, is to shoot to kill. Not shooting out knees or anything. Like you got to shoot to kill if you want to save your daughter. And then o- ominously, he he goes, "We're going to get bloody on this one, Roger." <laughs> so, um, and then just reassures him, "You're going to have to trust me." So they set a meet point. It's out in the desert. Riggs uh, Riggs gets lets gets let out of the car early. It's just, I mean, you're you're in desert. You don't really. It's it's hard to kind of gauge a sense of geography but you, you just you know there's no one around Murtaugh's driving stops lets Riggs out and then continues driving so obviously they have some sort of plan uh, and Riggs once he gets out of the car he's, he's full on sprint to wherever he's headed 
And um, so Murtaugh gets to the meet point, and we see a chopper coming along with a caravan uh, to meet him. Uh, Joshua and some henchmen come out, and they're they're talking with Murtaugh, and Murtaugh reveals that he's holding a live grenade. Mr. Joshua starts getting closer and closer to him while talking to him, and he shoots Murtaugh in the shoulder, the shoulder that was holding the grenade. And Murtaugh, somehow while being shot in the shoulder, <laughs> held on to the grenade uh, and just kind of like dead arm lobs it to the side. And the people on him, they scatter quick. But it turns out it was just a smoke grenade. So that was a, a little bit of a bluff that didn't work out too well for him. Mm-hmm. Right in this moment, you start seeing people drop. Riggs is, Riggs is a good ways away, but he has a rifle, and he's shooting, and he's killing He's killing men. He kills two men holding Murtaugh's daughter right away. Kills the getaway driver. So the daughter jumps in the car. Murtaugh's like yelling instructions at her gets in the car and starts driving off. You get this cool scene. It's, it's going between what's going on, the actions going on there, because obviously Murtaugh's huddled up behind the car that he arrived in, and he's taking out people as well. Um, but Riggs is trying to get a clear shot at Joshua. You, get, you see him in his sights, and there's things that are getting in the way. And right as Riggs has him, perfect shot, and you know, we, we've established at this point, Riggs basically, when he shoots, he doesn't miss. Like, he's an excellent marksman. Right as he's about to get the, get the shot, he goes, gotcha. And we see a gun barrel come down lower in the frame. So it's another one of the henchmen. They have Riggs now. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the chopper is ordered to go after the girl, which is kind of comedic. <laughs> helicopter chasing a, a car. Right. Um, Somehow he wins. But What's that? He wins, though. Who wins? The helicopter. Oh, yeah. Uh, Murtaugh's pinned down, and like he tries to get away futilely for a few seconds. Like They're, they're just shooting at his feet and stuff, and he's still like running through the desert, and finally he's like, he realizes that he, he's not getting anywhere, so he stops. So, and, like, and like you said, the chopper catches up with the daughter, and they take her back again. So plan while Valiant didn't quite work out. We're back in like... Um, we're not exactly sure where we're at. It's just like this dungeony hallway-looking thing, uh, wet, dirty-looking, and Riggs is strung up by his arms. We see that he's he's wet, like they've been hosing him down or something, and that there's this foreigner. I don't know if he was uh, Chinese or Korean or or something. Um, basically, he specializes in electroshock treatment. <laughs> um, so Mr. Joshua is there. And they're basically trying to find out what Hunsacker told Riggs and Murtaugh before they shot him. Because that information is obviously what's going to blow up the whole operation, so they want to know what what they know. So Riggs starts getting tortured. Um, this is a this is kind of a a tough scene because this this looks and feels very realistic, like to what I would think torturing someone would look like. Um they're just shocking the crap out of him, and and Mel Gibson's playing it perfectly, like the the looks and the this, the screams of pain and everything. Um, so in a different room, we have Murtaugh. He's in a seat, tied down to a seat. Um, he's being questioned. They're beating him up. Uh, he's bloody. His face. You, you got um, contusions everywhere. Cuts. They're rubbing salt in his wounds as a form of torture. He's not breaking. Finally, they bring their his daughter in. And interestingly enough, at this point, 
you start seeing Murtaugh become a little unhinged. And I felt like, okay, he's starting to resemble Riggs a lot here in this scene. Um, obviously, I mean, with reason, they have his daughter and they're threatening to kill her. But um, Murtaugh's starting to get that crazy far-off look in his eye, and he's starting – it, it almost felt like a very Mel Gibson inspired performance. <laughs> um, back with Riggs, a torture expert uh, determines Riggs doesn't know anything because no one could possibly withstand the punishment that he's giving and not break. Uh, so Joshua leaves, and at this point, Riggs overtakes the, the uh, torturer and kills him. Wraps his legs up and does this like pseudo triangle choke and breaks his neck. Um, so in the other room, they're about to kill the daughter, and the door busts open, and Riggs – This I don't know why this made me laugh, but Riggs has the torture guy up on his shoulders, <laughs> and he's running with him and, like, feels him over onto the other guys. That uh, hilarious, too. Yeah, and, and we see Riggs' special forces training ha- coming in here because he's, he's starting to kill men with his bare hands. Um, you see some other guys take off, and Riggs is going – gets a gun he's going through the entire building now and just shooting all the henchmen he's he's going nuts um he's looking for joshua who's who's on the run he's one of the ones who escaped so riggs takes off and he's chasing joshua joshua gets into a stolen car and riggs is chasing him on foot because like we had mentioned earlier riggs has that pitbull mentality of it doesn't matter he's just gonna do it riggs reaches an overpass and is able to shoot out the engine of the car that Mr. Joshua was in. So for for a brief moment here, both men are on foot and they're shooting each shooting at each other in pretty heavy traffic. Um, mm-hmm. And then Joshua steals another car. And when Riggs goes to get a car, he ends up getting hit by the car. So Joshua gets away. The boss tracks down Murtaugh. Now the boss is the uh, the unnamed boss. Mr. Joshua's boss, the guy who's the head of the whole the whole ordeal, he tracks down Murtaugh in this like little alley, and he's driving. He's in the car. There's a driver, and the the boss is in the passenger seat, and he's instructing the guy to run him over. So the car is coming like full stop at Murtaugh, and Murtaugh is just standing there calmly, and you see him like cracking his neck, and he's lining up his shot perfectly. And he headshots the driver, and the car careens out of control, of course, and into oncoming traffic. Just so happens a bus is coming by. It T-bones the uh, the car, which flips it, and the boss is stuck in the upside-down car. It's burning, and you also see that – I mean you got, he's surrounded by all the kilos of heroin from the, from what, what they're doing, but there's also grenades in the car. So it only takes a matter of moments, and the car explodes. So Murtaugh is effectively taken out the boss and Murtaugh has finally shot to kill Riggs meets up with Murtaugh to check on him Murtaugh realizes that Joshua knows where he lives now and they both race home Joshua is seen pulling up in that in that neighborhood where Murtaugh lives and there are a few cops stationed there which is this is another one of those like little details that I appreciated that I don't think like a lesser movie would have gone to the extent of showing that there are there are cops stationed outside of Murtaugh's house now because of what happened. Um, and Joshua drives up to him and kills them both. So, um, blasts his way into the door, and he's looking around the house. He, there's no one there. Um, and he notices a sign on the Christmas tree. And he gets... <laughs> He goes up close to the sign to read it, and it says, Dear bad guys, no one here but us cops. Sorry, the good guys. <laughs> uh, 
and then a cop car comes careening through the side of Murtaugh's wall, <laughs> uh, right at where Joshua is. Uh, it just narrowly misses him. So he opens the door of the car, the cop car, and realizes that no one's in there. There's a nightstick wedged between the gas pedal and in the uh, the seat. So obviously it was sent there that way um, by one of either Riggs or Murtaugh. So when he looks in there, he's looking in the car and he raises his head, very similar to the sniper scene that we just had in the desert. There's now a gun pointed at Joshua's head, and it's Riggs. One of my favorite things about the movie, and this is a, a point that I'm, I'm going to ask you about here in a second. So they come out, and, it's, and at some point there's a fire hydrant that got hit. So, I mean, you got a lot of water coming down, and we're in, we're in Murtaugh's uh, front yard at this point. Surrounded, there's cops there. There's people. Um, Murtaugh searches Joshua to see if he has any weapons on him. He doesn't. So then Riggs comes in with the coolest line ever, and he just goes, What do you say, Jack? Would you like a shot at the title? <laughs> and begin hand-to-hand fighting. Different time. <laughs> this wouldn't fly in today's culture, I'm sure. God, no. With cops under such like a scrutiny and everything, but... I could completely see this being a realistic thing in the eighties. So well, first this... off, like the whole thing of like a shootout <laughs> in public areas with cops, like that really wouldn't happen today at all. But it's at this point, like it's the 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 big boss is he's dead. He got blown up. Joshua's obviously caught. He has no weapons on him, and they're surrounded by cops. So. It's like Riggs still obviously working through some of his demons here and some of his anger issues. Um, why not fist fight this guy? <laughs> and that's what he wants to do. So they begin – and they're both special forces. Both obviously had the same training. So they start hand-to-hand fighting in the yard. And Murtaugh is on the sidelines stopping the other cops and basically saying, I will take responsibility for what's happening. Murtaugh being a senior officer – He's kind of in charge of the scene at that point, so the others are just kind of standing there. Listen, the end's already played out. It is what it is. Why not let Riggs fight him? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's not like there's cameras there. Like, this isn't 2018 where everyone has a cell phone camera. There aren't news – news. <clears throat> excuse me. The news people aren't there or anything, so just let them, let them fight. Um, and that's what they do. So – Joshua begins beginning – he's getting the best of the fight. Um, Joshua at some point picks up like this metal pole that was laying in the yard and starts swinging at it. It's another like just a little cool thing that I like, but Murtaugh throws Riggs a nightstick so that he can defend himself. It's just one of those like cool little buddy cop things where you can see like these guys are actually – they're real partners now, with, yeah. uh, which I like. So Riggs is using, actually using the nightstick to block these shots that um, he's being taken at, swung at with his metal pole. Uh, Joshua takes him down, and because the water has been so intense from this fire hydrant, you're starting to get pools in this yard that are starting to accumulate, and Joshua's starting to try, like drown him in this shallow pool of water that's accumulated in the yard. And all the while, Murtaugh's there on the outside, pleading with Riggs to let him, just let me take him, let me take him, let him take him. And Riggs is outright refusing. And (laughs) Mel Gibson gives this perfect, like, 
no type <laughs> line that I just, I, I don't know. I love it. Come on, let me take him! No, please! But we get, also get to see, this is, yeah, I think it's 1987. So UFC is not a thing yet. UFC doesn't come around until 1993. But you get to see some Gracie Jiu Jitsu in this movie. And it's yeah. like some really realistic, like, it's a triangle choke. And it's a perfect triangle choke. Like, it's laid in there perfectly. Um, so um, Riggs gets uh, Joshua in the triangle choke, and Murtaugh's yelling for him to break his neck. Riggs contemplates it. And, he, and this is another thing. Like, he's he's really starting to think, and then he goes, it's not worth it. And he lets him out, and he says, you lose. And then Joshua gets arrested. So here we're seeing a really neat kind of about face in both men. So obviously with Murtaugh, you start out, he's he's not a shoot-to-kill guy. He's a shoot-to-put-you-down shoot, shoot to put you down and question you, and he, he's very by the books. But we see him shoot-to-kill later in the movie, and that he had to shoot-to-kill to save his life. Um, and you see Riggs here, who is almost disastrously, has a death wish and doesn't care, but here he's sparing a guy's life. Until. <laughs> so there's two um, unknown arresting officers. They're just cops. Um, they're coming to arrest Joshua. Joshua overtakes one of the arresting officers and grabs his gun and pulls it out. And in what is one of the coolest shots of the movie, I think, you get both Murtaugh's helping Riggs because Riggs is taking a beating. Um, but they're helping – Murtaugh's helping him up. Joshua pulls the arresting officer's gun and he has it pointed at them. And both Riggs and Murtaugh both pull out their guns simultaneously and just start unloading on them. So Joshua dies. So what I wanted to discuss here real briefly is you see this in a lot of 80s action. It may be why I prefer, seemingly prefer 80s action to like more current stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously... Uh, discrepancies or you got good and bad in both eras but nowadays I mean when when you think of action movies nowadays we'll get more into this in the top five but I, I don't I don't count like the superhero movies even though I mean they absolutely are action movies but in my mind like they're superheroes it, its own genre in and of itself now at the uh, this point now it is yeah so like action movies what's the biggest action franchise currently going I would probably say the fast and furious movies yeah at least in my mind um in those movies you get like way way over the top um action set pieces which is i mean that's completely part of the charm of the the film franchise and there are movies in that film franchise that i like as stupid as they are i enjoy them Mm -hmm. um but what i really liked about this movie you you get some of the crazy. I mean, nothing. There's nothing on this on the scale in this movie of what a Fast and Furious movie has. But some of them are, are a little bigger in terms of scope. But it ends literally with hand to hand combat, and I like it. I dig that a lot. Yeah, I just feel like it's like a more personal way to end the film. I agree, actually. Um, I like that a lot. Don't even like. Don't even get me started on like Transformers, where like. Everything. There's oh. so much stuff happening that you just become numb to it. But like, that to have things, it's almost like this film almost feels like a funnel where you're starting out. Like earlier in the in the movie, you get some of the bigger scenes, and it's kind of just funneling down into like this more personal. Till finally, it's just one on one. Let's fight. You want a shot at the champ type scene. 
which I really, right. I really enjoy. I wish more movies would do that nowadays. Plus, it's more, it's simpler and it's more realistic. I mean, um, a movie on my list did that, but I won't mention that yet. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, rounding out the movie here, we see Riggs at the grave of his wife, and he's laying f- flowers there. And for the first time, he's seemingly um, at peace. I don't know if, if that's uh, an accurate description, but he's at least – he's not – I don't think he's suicidal at this point. He's has something to live for. It's not just the job anymore. It's this new partnership with Murtaugh. It's Murtaugh's family. It's being accepted by these people. And yeah. Realizing that he's still, he still has a lot of good to do yet. Um, and Riggs arrives at Murtaugh's place. <laughs> His daughter answers the door, the one who has a crush on him. Um, Riggs gives her a bullet, and he says, uh, give this to your father. I don't need it anymore. Tell him I don't need it anymore. And uh, the daughter offers and says, why don't you come in and join us, have food? And he refuses and, and begins to walk away. But then Murtaugh runs through the door. And uh, he catches up with them, uh, like out in the parking lot. And I had forgot to mention this, but there's this running joke uh, throughout the film about uh, how bad Murtaugh's wife's cooking is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Murtaugh runs and catches up with him and says, after all we've been through, you think I'm going to eat the world's lousiest Christmas turkey alone? You're crazy. Riggs says, I'll tell you a little secret. What? I'm not crazy. I know. Oh, good. Let's eat. Hey, you know something? Well, I, I think your daughter kind of likes me. If you touch it, I'll kill you. <laughs> You'll try it. And that's how it ends. So, um, That's pretty cool. I like that ending. So, Lethal Weapon, uh, 1987, the first of four films. There's always rumors that they're going to make more, and part of me kind of hopes I would be interested in kind of this getting that 20-year sequel treatment. If it were, I mean, if you had all the same characters and you had the right players and everything, it could be really fascinating now that um, Murtaugh is significantly older, or Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. Um, but I def- feel like, unfortunately, it could be a uh, pretty bad, pretty bad sequel. You think? I feel, in the, I feel like it could be in the wrong hands, of course. Well, but I feel it would absolutely have to be in the right hands, too. Yeah, which is why I almost would just be like, no, just don't do it. Um, they uh, they might even be too old, or maybe not even interested at this point. But yeah, I think so at this point. Mel Gibson. I love these characters so much that I would be interested in seeing. Obviously, if it, if you were to get a, a sequel now, neither one of these guys are going to be on the PD anymore. They're both retirement age, and Murtaugh's well past retirement age. Um, but one last crime gets a back in the job. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh. So what did you think? This is your first time watching this film. I hope I, I I tried not to hype it up too much, but this is this is one of my favorite, most favorite action films of all time. I've loved this movie for a long time. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, I'm not as high on it as you are, of course, but that's kind of normal at this point. But I, th- it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, I thought it was just going to be a die, uh, like an, uh, basically a, another Die Hard. And it's very much not that. It has a lot more layers and a lot more to it than Die Hard does, uh, just by characters themselves. Um, uh, Mel Gibson, as I we kind of mentioned earlier, and through this whole thing, Mel Gibson is absolutely fantastic in this film. Um, 
he is he like you said he he's so crazy that you think he's playing a character but then you realize that he's probably a bit crazy in real life but he does that so well in the movie um through those multiple scenes that we've talked about already um it's the very well shot and edited than i thought it was going to be um i forgot that richard donner did the uh it's done a lot of really good stuff. Uh, Goonies, Superman, uh, one and kind of two, not really. Uh, he's uh, he, like you said, in a lesser director's hands, I feel like this movie would not have been as good as it was. There's a lot of really creative stuff that they did with it. Uh, it falls into that category for me as just kind of goofy and cheesy a, a, a lot of times with just from the time period that it was created in, in the 80s, uh, as far as, as certain scenes that we've talked about. Um, but overall, like, I really enjoyed it. It was a really fun movie. Uh, it's not, it's only like an hour 40 or something like that. Um, it was just really good overall fun movie. There was a bit, it gets a bit ridiculous at, uh, towards the end, but that's kind of what I expected. I didn't have my critical thinking cap on for most of this movie, so um, it was a really fun and overall well-done movie. And I didn't really expect, didn't even know that there was four of them, and then now a TV show that I mentioned earlier. Where did Maybe you? I, I might actually might um, watch the sequels. You should. Why not? I I, I think I'm going to soon. Um, just because I mean I, I love them. I haven't seen the sequels, and it's probably been 20 years or so, but um, I really – I remember enjoying them, especially two and three I remember being really good. They introduced Joe Pesci, who has a um, – he gets oh. introduced in the second one, and he becomes like the third main character in all the films. Um, Riggs um, – I Riggs, love Joe Pesci. Yeah, he's really good in it, and Riggs um, starts a, um, a romantic thing that goes throughout the rest of the movies and – um, yeah, it's really cool. Plus, they carry things over from the second to the third, or from the they carry over things from the first movie into the second movie. Like uh, little things like Murtaugh's house is now under construction because a cop car got driven through the wall. <laughs> so yeah. stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's um, I really I really love this film. Looking back, I can see, uh, like I said, you got to watch it with with the the time frame in mind because um this movie opened the door for a lot of movies so when you go back and watch this movie and it's been a long time or even if it's your first time seeing it and you're more acquainted to more modern stuff um it's gonna feel derivative but you got to realize that this is like the original like this is this is what caused the derivatives. Like this is like the original buddy cop movie. Like this set the standard for buddy cop movies and a lot of the, the beats and ever, and a lot of things that happen has been ripped off so many times in lesser yeah. films, uh, that are maybe more in public consciousness right now, just because they're newer or, uh, not quite as old as this film. But yeah, I, I love this movie to death. I, I have it sitting at four and a half stars. Um, just, I, I felt like, a, it's entertaining. Is it's an, entertaining as anything? Like it's it's a film from the '80s, and it just like it completely holds up to me. Like it, at no point are you could you ever be bored by this movie. Um, 
and then you throw in the fact that like it is directed really well. It does have some running threads through it that are like are pretty pretty freaking deep for what's supposedly just supposed to be like an 80s popcorn action flick um mm-hmm. and it's doing some different things um doing th- some things that particularly in the 80s that you you just don't you don't see a lot of movies touching on um see i i, I land four and a half on it I, I i love it i i just feel like it's a really influential film and whenever i think like action movie i always come back to this and die hard um so what we're you you've been keeping me in suspense for a few days. What what was your your grand rating of this film? <laughs> I gotta hide my rating. Uh, I gave it a four. Okay, that's better than I thought you were gonna give it. I was gonna. I, it was debated between three and a half and a four, uh, but I gave it the benefit of the doubt. I gave it a four, and I think you deserve it. Yeah, it's uh definitely very influential. Um, so in the in the uh, in the theme of lethal weapon. Uh, our top five tonight, and we'll get through these a little quickly because, surprise, surprise, we're running long, people. Um, uh, what's new? <laughs> uh, we're not going to do a two-and-a-half-hour episode every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to have to tinker with the formula again. <laughs> um, I guess so. But, yeah, I just asked Reed. Um, we're going to go through and count. Uh, what's your, what's your f- top five favorite action films? And however you define that um, – so go go ahead, Reed. We'll we'll just go five five four four. Um, so how do you start your list? Okay. Um, so action films, like we you kind of mentioned earlier, uh, if you just look up action films, it'll kind of lump in a lot of other movies that you might not consider action films, like uh, superhero movies, for example. Uh, like even like a Twenty Two Jump Street is considered an action movie, which it technically is, but that's more of a comedy. Um, and it, it's it was kind of really difficult. Oh my God, what's going on with my phone? Anyways, uh, it's kind of it was kind of difficult for me to pick my top five because I wanted to kind of go with just like an action movie. Some the main focus of the movie is the action. So um, the my number five kind of contradicts that, <laughs> but uh, it's actually Kill Bill. Volumes one and two, I kind of nice. combine, kind of, kind of combine them into one. And when I thought about it, this is really more of an action movie, and it's a really great one. Uh, this is kind of how you kind of combine action and story into one. I'm not going to really talk too much about it. If you haven't seen Kill Bill, go watch it. It's one of Tarantino's best, uh, not just uh, the first one, but the second one as well. Um, but since we've been on here for two and a half hours. I will just kind of leave it at there. It's my number five. Uh, it's a great film. My my list is. I just will want to say my list is kind of very random. I wanted to pick movies that uh, either I've kind of come back to really appreciate and love recently more than like the kind of the cult classics. Like you might, like you said, Die Hard, uh, The French Connection, like all these classics that you might think of. I have some kind of obvious standouts on here, them, but they are a bit more recent. Uh, and some classic ones as well. I have one classic one that's pretty standout, but I kind of want to go with ones that you didn't really think of mm. too much, and ones that I've recently have come back to and really appreciate and love. And uh, yeah, so yeah. So, um, did you lump Kill Bill one and two together? I kind of, I kind of one or the other. I prefer one a little bit more. I prefer one. I still really do love two. But I, they, to me, they're basically like one movie, so I kind of combine them. But if I had to pick one, Kill Bill one. So 
So um, when I was making my list, uh, three of the movies I was going to include, I knew like immediately within like a half second of having to think. And the fourth one came to me, you know, within like a minute or two of thought. It was the fifth one that I had to like kind of try to figure out uh-huh. um, what to put in there. And like you, I, I mean, I looked up other people's lists to try to jog my memory, and I came across a lot of the the comic book films and everything. I didn't include those. Like I said yeah, earlier, I that's a separate genre. A lot of sci-fi stuff. I don't I don't consider like sci-fi to me is its own thing, like the Star Wars films and everything. And, yeah, um, that's not action. Yeah. And it came across a lot of war films, too. And to me, that's another thing of its own. I don't consider Saving Private Ryan an action movie. Even though it, it I mean, it, it fits, I wouldn't yeah. discount anyone that did think that. But for my list, I went in traditional um, classic. Although, I, looking at it now, two of these could be considered sci-fi as well. So, um, whatever. Um, so I put these in order of uh, how I have them rated on Letterboxd. Uh, from least to greatest, although uh, the least here is a four and a half star. So, um, my, there you go. Yeah, my number five, I have Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um, technically, it could Ooh. be considered a sci-fi film, um, absolutely. But uh, this is one of the first movies I ever remember seeing. Uh, my dad had it playing, and I was way too young to be watching this. <laughs> uh, I just remember the, the Judgment Day scene. Um, that um, yeah. Sarah Connor's visualizing and just how scary it was at the time for me. And then um, the whole scene where uh, they're trying to, to get in, in in Skynet and they get the, like, the cybernetic arm and then uh, the guy gets shot and Arnold Schwarzenegger has the giant Gatling gun and like that scene. Uh, it's been a few years. I'm going to need to revisit that. Sadly, not yeah. on 4K because they ruined the 4K transfer, but um, I'm going to have to revisit that movie. Thanks, millennials. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Terminator, I'm, listen, for me, I'm a Terminator apologist. Like I, no matter what, how many they put out, I'm going to watch them just because of my love for the first two of them. Yeah. Uh, the first I'm one. Some, somewhat the same, although the recent, the la- the latest one. Oh, it infuriates me. <laughs> just, oh. The. The first one's very good. Um, it doesn't hold up quite as I watched it fairly recently. It doesn't hold up quite as well as I would hope. Terminator Two is to me all, is almost a perfect film. It's my favorite James Cameron film ever. I feel like actually this goes right in in line with what we were saying with Blade Runner. I feel like this movie makes the original better. This might be one of the few, yeah. in my opinion, that. Not only is better than the original, but makes the better the the original better a better film. Um, so yeah, it's just it's 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 a great film, and because it's so great that I excuse the third one, I kind of even like it in a weird masochistic way. Um, Salvation, eh, and then that that uh, uh, Genesis I, is so. Bad. I was so hyped for Salvation. I remember seeing the trailers, and they used Nine Inch Nails, and I was freaking out. And uh, the song was the movie was bad. Have you seen Have you seen Genesis? Gen yeah. Oh, I hate how to spell yeah. it. But the thing that's it's a bad movie, okay, and that's infuriating in and of itself. The thing that's even more infuriating is the first half of that movie is really great, and then it just devolves into like the is worst nonsense. Thing? I I thought it was great. I, I thought I... I thought they were tying up loose ends. 
like perfectly with that film, and then it just went completely off the deep end and messed everything up. I don't know. J- Jai Courtney can go fuck himself. That's he's, <laughs> he's so bad. I don't know. I don't remember really liking much like much of the. F- it's so forgettable to me that I almost forget what happens. And then oh, and then I remember that 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 was when. I like pretty much stop watching trailers for the most part unless I'm like in the theater and I can't leave. That's like the only time I really watch trailers uh, from now yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, because they ruined the James Con- Connor. Is that John Connor? John Connor. John Connor tw- twist in the movie, which is so fucking dumb. But yeah, no, yeah, that that, that movie is awful. I, it, what's funny about the movie is <laughs> I had a friend at the time. Uh, after I was working in the movie theater, he worked at that same movie theater, which I told him not to do because it was awful. But he got free movies. And he was like, you want to see Terminator Genesis? I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything, but I really don't want to see that movie. It's supposed to be terrible. He's like, well, I can get us in for free. I work in the movie theater. I'm like, okay. And I kind of really wanted a refund uh, <laughs> after watching that movie. I, was, I remember that's the first thing I said. I was like, is there a way we can get a refund on our free tickets? <laughs> but... Uh. So yeah, Terminator 2 Judgment Day is my number five. Well, uh, my number four is, I guess, I have like uh, three spots that could be considered into two movies because I kind of consider them the same because I kind of consider them on the same wavelength. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, The Raid 2, specifically 2, more than the first one. Um, I fucking... Love this. I was very late on this movie, on the Raid movies. I heard that they were some of the best action movies of all time. I was very late on to catching them. I only saw, I think I saw, finally saw the Raid 2, like maybe a, a year or two ago. Uh, or both of them. I, I think I watched both of them in one night, actually. Uh, which um, was awesome. Because they are incredible movies. They, just the stunt work in these movies alone is better than like most action scenes period. And they use great wide shots. It, it It is quick cutting at times, but it's wide shots. You can tell what's going on in the action. And if you've seen the raid too, you know that there is this one specific car chase that happens. And the way that they shot this, I, I can't, it's hard to explain. Uh, it's like a one, it's a one shot and they, they switch between cameramen going in between cars and in between motorcycles. Look up the behind the scenes on this film. It's incredible. Uh, But yeah, uh, the story is a story. (laughs) It's there. But everything else about it, the action in this movie, uh, and the movies are are some of the best action you will ever see on on the screen, on the big screen, or small screen now, because they're not, it's not in theaters anymore. But go check it out, people, please. Uh, It it is... um, a foreign film, I forget what country. I think it's Korea, but I'm not going to butcher that. I think it's that, Korean. I, I think it's Korean too, but I don't want to like butcher, butcher that because uh, I've done that before. Um, so, yes, it, uh, you will have to read subtitles, people. I know that sucks. It's awful. But go watch them. The movies are incredible, both of them. Raid 1 is great. Uh, it's a very uh, kind of a simple premise as in... Uh, it all takes place kind of like Die Hard in one tower, and it's one against all, pretty much. Uh, but um, the second one, and the second one is more complex than that. But the second one is ju- they're both equally as great, in my opinion. But the, I think the second one is uh, a bit better. So yeah, that's my number four. I own both of them, and I've only ever seen the first one. 
need to watch. Yeah, I need to watch the second one. Yeah, you need to watch the second one. Is uh, I think it's an improvement uh, from the first one a lot, but the first one is pretty great. So, so um, my number four, and I feel I feel like I'm going to probably talk about this for another two hours is a uh, Lethal Weapon. So, <laughs> oh jeez, I'm kidding. Uh, no, um, yeah, Lethal Weapon is my number four. I'm obviously not going to talk about it very much. Um, but yeah, for all those reasons I said before, a uh, very influential movie. It's a, it's a great film, and it, I, it's a great lineage of films. So um, my number four, uh, this is also a four-and-a-half-star film for me, uh, Lethal Weapon. So my number three is your number five, Terminator 2. Nice. I was tempted to actually put the first Terminator on here. I know. I know, but because I really do love the first Terminator, I I sometimes debate between the first and the second. But the second one is just an improvement, pretty much in every way, than the first one. But I still love the first one, maybe because, like you said, the sequel improves uh, upon the first one, um, or makes the first one better, I should say. Um, but yeah, I don't really have much else to say. This film is pretty great. This was one of my. Also, first films I watched, it was, uh, well, I remember seeing the first Terminator, uh, Terminator when I was very young, like, before Salvation came out, um, because I, like, loved it. It was, and Salvation came out, what, 2009? Nine years ago? I would have been, I would have been 12 when that came out. I remember seeing that in theaters. So I was about, like, 11 or 10 when I saw the first Terminator, and I loved it. Uh, and I remember, and I remember seeing the second one, uh, because we owned them on uh, DVD and I remember watching them and I was just like in awe. I love these movies. Um, so, so I'm tempted to go with the first one but the second one is pretty much better in every way. So, Terminator 2? Um, so, my number three is a late addition to the list. And this was one I li- like really had to come by by like thinking about what's what I wanted my fifth choice to be but actually when I put it on the list it got bumped to three just in terms of my rating for it and it literally just it came down to me going through my five star list on Letterboxd and seeing if there was anything there and uh, I have Scott Pilgrim vs. the World um, not traditional okay. action in terms of what I would think a traditional action movie is but it does have it is an action movie I mean it has a ton of fight scenes in it um Although it is, I guess, technically a comic book movie. Um, so I'm breaking yeah, my own rule here. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of a middle ground there, yeah. Yeah. But I added it um, because I'm a walking contradiction. Uh, it's <laughs> it's a five-star film for me. It's just, I'm sure we'll talk about this at a later date. Um, I feel like it's the perfect film. It's a film I is infinitely rewatchable. It's like one of those movies I just never get sick of. Um, yeah. And it, it has some really amazing fight choreography in it, uh, on top of amazing everything else. So my number three is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So my number two has uh, really turned around on me. Uh, I remember I rewatched this film about how long ago? A couple months ago, and I just really turned around for this film, and I gave it a five star. These next two, I gave five stars. Um, and I gave the Terminator ones five stars, but these next two, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, is my number two. Uh, yeah, this film's fantastic. 
and I remember watching it in the theaters, and I was like, damn, this film is fucking great. Uh, and um, I was just like, man, um, I can't believe like what I'm watching right now. This is great. And I remember thinking for a time that I kind of thought like it was a bit overrated as what everyone thought it was going to be. Like everyone was saying it was like one of the best films ever. Uh, and I was like, yeah, it's not that great, but it was good. Um, rewatching it recently, a couple months ago, really turned my mind around to it. Um, and I actually recently just put in my letterbox, just probably as we were talking before, as the five, when I was making that list. I'm like, yeah, this seems to be a five star because this movie is fantastic in every way. Um, a lot of this movie is highly praised for uh, its net, its um, practical effects and how the action is actually taking place a lot of the time. But this movie actually does have a lot of CGI, but it's just used so well. There's actually this really good video on YouTube. It's a video essay on uh, CGI. I forget who did it. If I can remember, I'll try to send it to you because you do need to watch it. It's a really great video. But it's about how we notice good CGI. We notice when we really only notice CGI when it's bad mm-hmm. for the most part. We don't notice it when it's good. And this movie has some really great CGI that you don't even that you think it's real because you've heard of all these things that this CGI is great. But the but it's actually CGI. Um, but this film in general is just fantastic. There was actually um, something I wanted to bring up about this film that I heard a quote from the director. And the director, George Miller, actually had his wife edit the film. Um, and uh, he wanted her to edit the film, and she asked him why. And as Because uh, she had actually never an, edited an action film before. And Miller replied, because if a guy edited it, it would look like every other action movie. And she actually won the she actually won the Oscar for editing the film. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, so I, I I thought that was really interesting. When I thought about that, that's it changed my mind. I'm like, yeah, that actually like makes sense. This film is so different than every other action movie. The editing is incredible in this film, um, and yeah, I don't really want to talk much more about it because um, it's pretty great. And uh, I'm stumbling for words from two hours of talking. Uh, I'm on like four hours of sleep right now, so my brain is just going at 70 different things. But yeah, uh, I love this film so much. It's such a great film, and it's something that um, uh, has really uh, brought back, really, I've really grown to appreciate recently. So, yeah. I agree. Um, that movie came within like a hair of making my list. It was in consideration when I was looking for like mm-hmm. one final movie, because I, I do love that movie too. Uh, my number two is The Matrix. Now, um, much like Terminator, I am a Matrix apologist. I'm one of the few people that will defend the entire trilogy. <laughs> um, although it is diminishing return, I will give you that. But for me, The Matrix is a perfect film, The um, speaking towards the first movie. Um, recently revisited this within the last month or two on 4K. Sidebar. It looks amazing on 4K. They did a really fantastic transfer. Those millennials didn't fuck that up. <laughs> uh, they just ever... It completely holds up. And somehow the CG gets progressively worse in the, the trilogy. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, the Matrix is just... Uh, I don't even know where to start. I would I would need a whole two hours to unpack this movie. But... Um, just such a fantastic movie it's another one like scott pilgrim and my number one choice come to think of it 
I just I can watch them all the time and just never really get sick of them. I love the threads of philosophy all through the entire trilogy, um, but obviously starting here in the in the first movie, um, and just uh, this is another movie like we we're uh, like I was praising Lethal Weapon. This movie is like another stopgap when you look at the, like the history of action films where. This movie came along and re-revolutionized everything to where everything was now copying The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Bullet time wasn't even a thing until The Matrix. That was invented for The Matrix. And look how many movies ripped that off in the subsequent years to the point where it's like a it's a meme now. If you'd see that in a movie now, you'd be like, oh, this is hokey. But like yeah. it, that's it was revolutionary stuff. Um, Bullet time. The all. all all their use of, of slow-mo and, and speeding up things and just um, n- not even getting into the world building of the movie, which is next level. Perhaps the best world building in a film since Blade Runner before it. Um, I mean, it established yeah. this, this whole new world, which was, you know, the world, but it was a different way of looking at it. Um it just it, it did so much, and it, it really just kicked open uh, the doors to a whole whole new generation of action films. And I guess technically this is could be a, a science fiction film as well because it does dabble in that a lot too. But um, my number two is The Matrix, a five star film. Okay, um, so this is a film that a lot of people can be like, read why is this your number one? And you might be you have you might be making some points. But I rewatched this film yesterday, and I gave it a five star. Now, because you mentioned that there are some films that you gave five stars or you gave a really high rating that probably doesn't deserve it, this might not deserve five stars. But I rewatched it yesterday, and I've seen this movie probably about like ten times now, uh, and it's one of my favorite movies. Like period, uh, it's John Wick, the first John Wick. Hmm. I fucking love this movie so much it's so cheesy it's so corny but everything is just done so well the what i love about it is that the movie knows what it is it's not trying to be anything deep or anything like like it knows the tone it's going for um like they just set up they set up John Wick as this badass motherfucker by literally like two sentences. <laughs> like why? Where he calls up, he's like, why Why did you punch my son in the face? Because your son st- stole John Wick's car and killed his, killed his dog. Oh. Hangs up phone right away and walks away. Mm-hmm. Like, it's perfect. It is perfect the way they set him up. As You just, you buy it. You buy it right away. And the, like I mentioned, the action in this film is so great. Keanu Reeves, I mean, he's not really a great actor um, all the time. Uh, he's kind of okay. He's good um, at what he does. <laughs> that that's Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. He's good at what he does, and he fits this role perfectly. Like, this is the perfect role for him. He he doesn't really over overact in this film. He knows what he is, He he and he does it well here. And so does everyone, and that's pretty much everyone else in this in this film. Uh, the the world that it builds is fantastic. Um, 
man, I fucking love John Wick so much. And it's such a weird thing because I, when we, you told me this list, I knew this was going to be on this list because I love it so much and I've seen it so many times. But I didn't think that I would put it number one. And it might not be my number one when I if I find more films, but to me, this is the most personal one and it's the most different one. So I had to go with it. My number one is John Wick. It's fantastic. And if you have not seen John Wick, go see it. And then go see John Wick number two. Uh, it's not as good as the first one. But, I mean, it pretty much does everything that the first one does. And uh, I can't wait for John Wick three because supposedly he's riding a horse, which looks insane. So, uh, yeah, John Wick number one. Yeah, I love that film, too. I, I wouldn't go five on it, although I do need to rewatch it. I have both of them on 4K, and I haven't checked them out yet. My um, five for it is just for what personal. Else. Yeah, yeah, it's very much a personal one. That's something that like I can't necessarily defend it if you don't even like like the film, honestly. Uh, if but um, it's one of those personal ones. Yeah. Oh, it's one of those films. If you don't like it, I I would just argue that you don't like action films because. It's yeah. a really good action film. I mean, it's one of those movies that just came out of nowhere. It has no business being as good as it is. Oh, exactly. I, I feel like this is just a movie that no one knew about until it was out, and then right. everyone's like, whoa, this is actually like really fantastic. Um, I remember seeing the trailers for it, and I was like, what the hell is this? And then it was getting really good reviews, and me and my dad were just like, yeah, let's go. we're going to go see it like the first day. I remember seeing it the first day, and I was like, holy, why is this film so great? How? Why? I remember Who's there saying? being some really beautiful shots in that movie too. Yeah, the the cin- that's another thing. The cinematography in that film is fantastic. Even even in the second one too. There's so many great stuff for especially for an an action movie, you know. It's just, that's yeah. what's so great about it is that everything's wide shot. The stunts are so great. Um you know they're not hiding anything. That's why I fuck it. It's it just I watch that and then I watch other action movies. Like have you ever seen Alex Cross by chance? <laughs> no, I'm not this, watching a Tyler Perry movie. Okay, yes, but the reason why I'm mentioning this is because there's it's I always come back to the scene whenever I talk about like the worst action scene of all time is when these two guys, Tyler Perry and this other guy, are fighting on top of a catwalk and literally the camera is just shaking and you literally can't see a thing. I will send you I the clips. Like it's, but it's the worst you've ever seen it. I will, I will find it on YouTube and I will send you it and you're going to watch it and you're going to wish <laughs> that you've never liked movies to begin with. So I'm really pumped to watch that. Uh, <laughs> um, so my number one is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think at the top of the show, it always comes down to Lethal Weapon or Die Hard. And uh, I went with Die Hard, number one on my list. Um, Die Hard, five-star film, perfect film. Um, another film I can go back to, and do go back to usually every Christmas because yes, it is a Christmas movie. People, I don't want to hear any arguments on that. Um, I agree. It's just it's a perfect film, and um, it took what it came out a year later. So I, th- I think it took a lot of, and I mean, it was produced by the same guy. Um, it took a lot of what Lethal Weapon kind of started and just ran with the ball and kicked open the doors and. Um, if you're looking 
at what's more influential, I think Die Hard's definitely more influential, probably more well known in terms of action films. Um, you after Die Hard came out, you basically had a lot of films. It's like, okay, this film is Die Hard but on a train, and this film is Die Hard but on a plane, and this film is Die <laughs> Hard but on this, and it, it was like to the or, point of ridiculousness. Or skyscraper is Die Hard but with the Rock. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean that, that's it's really true. Like it's. So 1988, Die Hard comes out, and we're now 2018, and there's, you still get them trying to remake the magic of what Die Hard had. Um, and even the, the subsequent Die Hard films. Uh, which do I prefer? Like I always go back and forth on Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, because to me they're like forever linked in my mind. I think Die Hard, just if you take them on a, a, a film... Die Hard versus Lethal Weapon. Die Hard's a better film, but Lethal Weapon's by far a better series of films. Uh, the Die Hard films start a much steeper decline, and don't even get me started on that fifth Die Hard film because it is unwatchable. It is pure trash. It is an insult yes. to the series. Yeah, um, it's terrible. And that's when what you're saying about Jai Courtney. I was like, I'm right on. I'm right there with you because <laughs> he ruined yeah. Die Hard for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just an absolutely perfect film. Uh, Bruce Willis, his absolute best performance, his absolute best um, role. I wish he would stop doing it. <laughs> just let it go. Stop tempting it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just personally, it's a, a a film that I absolutely love, and it's five stars for me personally. But I also think just on an influential basis it's it's a five-star film um and in just a, a pure enjoyment uh it's a popcorn flick absolutely but it's not like i, I feel like there's an, a definite negative connotation to the term popcorn flick nowadays because of the quality you get in a lot of them but for me like this is the definition of what a popcorn flick could ever hope or aspire to be where it's yeah, it's a little bit crazy, but it's fun. It's not insulting your intelligence. It's enjoyable and it's well made and it's well acted. And uh, that's what Die Hard is. So definite a uh, five star film for me, and that rounds out my top five list. So uh, we we're finally going to end the show here. <laughs> um, next next edition, which um, probably what record in two to three weeks, um, it's going to be Reed's show. So Reed will pick the uh, deep dive movie, and Reed can pick the top five list um did you want to uh clue everyone in on what you chose yes i would um so i had a a couple movies honestly this was really tough i mentioned something last episode of about a movie to you which is something i might do in the future we're not going to do it this time um and my ultimate reason for picking the movie this one is because one uh it's one of my favorite movies of all time and it's in your watch list that i saw when oh, i nice. clicked the movie it's called Mommy. Um, it is directed by Xavier Dolan. Uh, it is a Canadian-French film. Um, so we're gonna have to read subtitles, Beach. I don't know. We gotta. It's gonna be tough. Darn I don't know if I can. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> uh, but it's one of my favorite films of all time, and it's something I came across last year, and I am so happy I did. Uh, one thing about the movie that I will mention beforehand, uh, Beach. It is filmed in a. Uh, one in a basically an iPhone aspect ratio, uh, and that is on purpose. Like a vertical uh, aspect ratio. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, it's uh, 
you're it's going to be very don't think that your tv is broken when you first watch the movie because uh, uh that it's on purpose um and actually it uh, it it does so many creative things with it that we that you will find out and uh it's on it's on purpose but yeah it's a great film and i can't wait to talk about it next episode all right, that'll be coming up in a few weeks. Until then, uh, if you agree with us, disagree with us on any point that's been made in this episode, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. Any bit of feedback will be greatly appreciated. And until then, uh, I'm Beej, BJ Smith Photo on Letterboxd, and you are? I am Reed, at me is Reed on Letterboxd and other social media outlets. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.